All right. Uh, I guess we can do a show. That sounds like a good idea. Yeah, it's going to have to be because we're committed at this point. So you got your laptop out. Sure yeah, that's all it takes. I actually, um, I'm going to stop using this one. Can I have it? No, I have to give it. I'm just going to stop using it because I have to give it to the kids have been using it, and I'm tired of shit. I have another one that I haven't been using. Um, that one. <laughs> Why don't you give Are the you just kids? Keep asking dude, for... give the kids my computer and give me one of those. You the know, kids don't need a fast computer. They need to sit there and watch that thing spin, and they need the error messages to come up, and they'll need to force quit a bunch of stuff all the time. Like that's what they can do. It'll keep them occupied. Give me the computer that has actual internet speed. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. I'm Brian Irwin. <laughs> I'm John Huck. That was our commercial on why. You should donate well, your computer. It, I think it was more of a sales pitch on your end. Um, but as they always say, whether it's interviewing or sale, doing sales, you never you never live in the negative. You always have to stay positive. So the, really what you should have been doing there is talking about you and, and, and the benefits of you having the computer, not well, the, the negativity. No, no, no. The benefits of your kids having my computer. My computer well, first off, that's not your computer. I want to be very clear. No, you do, you do not own this computer. Whatever you're trying to do here, Tony Robbins, it's not working. You're not going to mind trick me into believing Brian, that this is not your computer. I can have you making $3,000 a week by placing <laughs> small ads in newspapers across the country, okay? You place tiny ads, then other people come to you about placing tiny ads. It's simple. I give you my slow computer. Your kids take that. You I already be- gave them slow computers, and you're, and you're also forgetting one very important fact here. I don't forget. You forgot that they have a mother that will always give them the best of everything. So they didn't last very long on the, on the, on the, on the computers because they complained that it was too slow. So this is her former computer that I use specifically to write on and also do the podcasting on. But I have another um, MacBook Pro that I wanted to save. That's the reason why I don't do the show on it. I wanted to only use it for editing and stuff like that because that's what it's designed for. But now I realize I'm, yeah, I'm not using it enough. Um, I also realized, and I should have known this from the other day, that I shouldn't have um, actually made the comment that I did uh, about uh, getting rid of the computer or whatever I said, because I did that uh, at the kids' uh, game the other day where I had too many footballs. It was the end of the season. And it gets to that awkward thing where, like, a strange lady's like, whoa, you're forgiving my footballs. I'll take one. And I was like, and I kind of didn't know what to say to her. And then I just didn't say anything. And I kind of turned my back to her. And I was like, okay, which one of us is the dick in this situation here? The fact that she was intercepting my conversation with somebody else. Well, I think. Or me was- by going, well, yeah, yeah, but not you. I'm not going to give one to you. I mean, I have like 50 of them, but I, I'm not going to give one to you. I think you just laugh and then you say something like, ha, ah, for the team. <laughs> so when I see her next, I should finish? Well, no, it's too okay. late. You've, you've, the, the <laughs> no, no, I want to make it really awkward. I should go back to that. And Hi, remember when a couple weeks Brian. ago? I got your number from a. Uh, <laughs> I got your number. I've been a, doing a lot. I've been a teacher list. I put you on uh, missed connections on Craigslist, but I didn't. Uh... You asked for footballs. I turned my back. <laughs> Call me. Do you think that that ever? I don't. I haven't been to Craigslist in a long time. But do you think that that ever actually worked? I would like to think that there are people that are married to this day that were met on missed connections. I like to think that. I didn't. Have, yeah, I'm a romantic, though. I have no idea. Right, I don't have any enough. proof. No. Does um, that matter anymore? Can't you just say you yes, just say and I would have believed you? If you say it enough times, people are like, well, I guess it's real. Yeah, yeah. So I got to find a place to put all my Academy Awards. Yeah. Yeah. And 
All your first place trophies. All my, all my, all my first place trophies. I have so many. I gotta find a place for them. My mom saved the. I never got first place in anything, and my mom saved. Um, that can't be true. I got last place in bowling. A sort of last place, the worst bowler of the year certificate. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way. I know that we coddle kids too much now, but, that's but I, just thought it, I thought I was a child back then, and I think it's a little bit insulting to be like, by the way, you hey, are buddy. horrible. You see these 30 and other kids? You're the worst. You're the worst. These and, 30 kids. And let's not walk away with that without a memory of how bad. Frame this. Put it above your yeah. bed. Look at it every night. Remember how shitty you are at bowling. Never forget. I will say, though, that as bad as I think that is... You, I did save my rejection letter from film school. Oh, sure. That's the that story, said, though. you'll never make it in the film business. You should probably do something else. That's so obviously, positive. well, no, but then, I mean, I'm, you know, yeah, paraphrasing, paraphrasing the letter, <laughs> but the letter basically Brian, was saying, get out. Get out. They, you know, that, and I was like thinking to myself, well, thanks for all your help school I paid for by telling me to not pursue uh, the career that I want to pursue. Isn't, I mean, because ultimately, isn't that supposed to be their job? Well, yes, the job of educators is to make people want to be educated. I mean, then educate them. That is part of what they do, yes. So any kind of discouragement, when people tell, let's guidance counselors in high school, like, oh, I saw your test scores, like, uh-huh, and that's what you're basing things on? Well, you're an idiot. Well, so. I, here's the thing, uh, and, and it would be interesting to have a discussion with, with our guest about this, but in respects to no film school... with guests on the show. But in, in, res- in respects to film school... Uh, the difference is it's subjective, not objective. It's art. So it's like you're failing me because you don't like whatever I'm creating. Right. Versus it's a test where there's These either a right, right or a right wrong. Or wrong answers like and math so or And so they were kind of saying yeah. this is not right for you. I, I could understand saying you're failing out of astronomy because... Well, you don't know any of the constellations. Yeah. <laughs> you don't know anything about it, learn, and you refuse to learn. Which happened to me so, three times. I think that was the only thing that rubbed me raw about them saying you're not welcome anymore. Is that it was a subjective decision to say. Then, then the letter find something been, else to do. You know, the letter should have been more along the lines of you don't, you're not, you might not fit in here, but we encourage you to try other, other routes or other, you know, paths or whatever. But to to just tell you, you you're probably not cut out to, to do this. That's like, I mean, also. Hey, maybe it's the thing they do to everybody that inspires them to either go, yeah, you're right, I'm out, or, hey, man, screw you, and then make as many movies as they can. I don't necessarily know that they thought that hard about it. I, I think I was. It, yeah. I think yeah. I was. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's an assembly line mentality. As I was, I was one of fifty kids that that, that the counselor saw that day, or those oh, people yeah. saw that day, and they're just like they look at it, they review it, they go try something else. Bye. Yeah. Don't leave the school because we'll still take your money. Don't take off. Don't take off. Those doors are locked. But don't quit school. Just quit this. Pay us for something else. Yeah. Pay us for something else. Find a place that we won't feel bad taking your money. Right. Um, we should we should be bringing our guests because I do want to start. I don't want to start on a on a on a downer note, but um, I want to I want to I think we we should acknowledge Luke Perry passed away. Okay. And I watched. Every single episode of 90210. I remember the pilot episode. I remember the last episode. Like, uh, I've always liked that guy. And then everything I've re- been reading about him lately, I was like, oh, he's even better in person. So it's like, that's a bummer. But it was definitely a part of, um, I don't want to say my childhood, because it was kind of like almost on a goof that I started watching it. And then like kind of like it, when it went into, it was still airing when I was in college. And like it would be a t- like a night when like you know we just get like four cases of beer, 
and everyone would hole up and watch an episode of 90210 and like really <laughs> really freak out about it and get into the characters and stuff and just really uh It was a big deal. It. I did not watch the show but pretty much everybody else I knew was like yeah. big into it. It was just not my thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, it was we're I think you and I've talked about this before. We're getting into that point now where you you realize that when your parents talk about their generation and then they're like, you know, the people start dying off at a certain point. And I'm not talking about like dying young as, you know, musicians and some artists do because they, you know, whatever, they OD or whatever. But just people, for whatever reason, you know. But also, like, yeah, uh, like, yeah, I mean, he was, Luke Perry is young, I think. He was, oh, he was, well, he was more than young. He was only 52 years yeah, old. Yeah, that, you know? that was. And it, it was and a stroke, it, so it was like something that, you know. Yeah, some some health, yeah. But that, that was, it was just too bad. It was unfortunate. And, uh, you know, I just want to say that he was a he was a solid solid actor. I liked the guy. I remember when he popped up on Oz, I was super pumped. I was like, "Oh my god, Luke Perry!" Like every time that guy showed up in something, I was like, "Oh shit, Luke Perry!" Like, Did he I show was... up on Oz as the character from Nine Two One Zero? Hey, what Dil- Dylan's in prison on Oz? <laughs> Although the greatest thing they ever did, the, the greatest kind of mashup was Seinfeld when he hosted SNL and they did Seinfeld and Oz, and he was wandering around in the on the set, you know, in the orange jumpsuit. And he's like. Hey, why the long face? And the guy's like, Edebezi stabbed me with an AIDS-infected needle. And he got and, he, and Seinfeld goes, Good luck with all that. And he just <laughs> walked away. It was like the <laughs> it was a great mashup. But yeah, I don't anyway, uh it was sad to hear about Luke Perry. But uh now we'll bring in our guest and we'll try to not talk about Luke Perry anymore. Unless <laughs> our guest has some Luke Perry stories. I don't know. A lot of people seem to have known the guy or run into him or had uh, um, good things to say about him. But that being said, our guest today, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna say this in the order that I think they happened: <laughs> musician, actor, um, writer, magician, Rob Zabrecki. All right, Rob, judge him on his list. <laughs> oh, really? Okay. Sorry, John. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, music was definitely. Musician first. First, okay. Uh, musician, magician. Really? Yep. And then fell into acting and have been writing along the way. You know, okay. definitely part of the whole journey. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, r- I mean, I'm sure the writing comes into play for music and for magic everything. and everything. Yeah. yeah yep. You got to have correct. You're not just up there mute because that'd be uh, not good music. Correct. Uh, what? 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 What was your first instrument? What was your thing that oh, made you like? Yeah, so I mean, um, first instrument was the bass guitar. Chose it because it had four strings. Obviously, easy, easy, looking easier for the, than the six. Looking for the easy way out, and uh, <laughs> yes, wanted to be a musician. You know, loved. I grew up, you know, right here in ten minutes from here in Burbank. Oh, you're oh you local. did? Okay, you're yeah. Right. Okay. So I was one of the few El Angelinos that actually grew up here and um, and stayed and stayed. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, first love was music, so just fell in love with all that AM radio stuff in the 70s, and then Cheap Trick, Kiss, all that air guitar playing led yeah, to... Yeah, that, that had to be... Man, just hours of, you know, you, you were talking about getting last place in things. Well, I was last place in everything, except <laughs> air guitar <laughs> after school by myself. But That's which, what I was, yeah. king of the world. Champion. You're like, where, Champion. where are my blue ribbons for that? How, no, how old no. were you when you picked up the bass guitar? Uh, I was f- 15. Okay. Yeah. So so 
15, six, uh, yeah, about 15. I, was, I wasn't, dri- wasn't quite driving yet. So. Did it? So I tried doing the bass guitar thing. I, I, my, my dad, as a self-taught pianist, there was a lot of musicians in my family. And so I, I, I you know, again, I'm the same thing. I was, I was the AM radio guy, you know, mm-hmm. including Casey Kasem. Oh, um, yeah. American Top 40, which, by the way, they still do a 70s on 7 on the satellite radio. Amazing. Um, so every once in a while, I get a little bit of that, you know, that Never memory flutter. Never gets old. That stuff just, it always sounds fresh to me. But I tried, and I didn't, it didn't feel like, and I think John and I have talked to this before, like, I've tried, and it just didn't, I could do the fundamentals, but mm-hmm. it never flowed through me. Does that make sense? Like, it didn't yes. feel right. If, like, I always felt like right. I had to keep trying to get it right, and it never really, I don't know how to explain it, but maybe you can... Well, I mean, for same, I mean, I, I would say it was, it was no fish to water, it was difficult, it was hard, but I was determined to do one thing in life, it was, that was it, because I failed so miserably at sports, and uh, it, it, most other things in school didn't go well or easy okay. for me, so having such a massive love for music, I was like, I'm going to make this work. Interesting, okay. You know, the music I was trying to play was super easy. Um, you very, you know, I was learning bass riffs from like the Monkees and Echo and the Bunny Men and Bauhaus, '80s stuff, basically. Yeah. So it was just as easy as like it, it couldn't have been more, you know, stupid and and simple. But you could feel what, like I think there's a like what like to hit what Brian was saying. Like you felt it though. You were like, I want to do it. I'm feeling this. You'd get a couple of riffs right. You get a couple of bass lines right. You'd be like, Oh yeah, and that would keep you going. Whereas I think Brian was like. I don't feel the rhythm like it's yeah. not flowing through me. It's I always felt like I was at odds with it, for sure. Yeah, yeah, and I and, and I had, not in a way that's like musically uh, positive, <laughs> right? And I had the luxury of meeting a couple guys from my high school that were drums and guitar, and they were basically in the same boat as me. So we were getting together every day after school and just nailing, you know, our little our set. Yeah, and then you know, within maybe a year, we had a gig. We got you know, we played for a bunch of teenagers in the valley, and uh, so did you sing too? I did. Yeah, okay. is yeah. that Just part of what of you wanted to do, or? or it was out of necessity? And it was like I was, it was so pathetic what I was you would doing. Sing with the riff. Yeah, of the bass. it was. Not, it was like, oh man, it was just it was terrible. But was that's terrible. a whole other thing in itself too, right? That's like I always, I'm always patting your that, head and rubbing your stomach. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's another learned. Like you have to under at some point you had to separate yourself from singing along with the way you were playing it right like so true, it's true but my singing was more like narrating it okay wasn't, it was not like I wasn't it was kind of punk, punky okay you know so it wasn't it wasn't like I was trying to hit any real notes it was more just like just getting a little getting the thoughts out yeah, yeah exactly so, so no basements in Burbank man were you guys annoying in the garage or where we were where annoying did you... it. Did it annoy the neighbors? Yeah, 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 we were annoying the fuck out of every neighbor. Yeah, the neighbors, (laughs) cops were getting called once. Oh, you heck, really? Yeah, so it was that situation. Um, I'm sure cops loved having to come over and just tell somebody to turn it down. In hindsight, now I look and I go, all the things they've got to do. I'm over here telling these kids to turn down their amplifiers. (laughs) I don't give a shit. But 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 rewind to Burbank in the '80s, and that was the crime. Yeah, boy, (laughs) noise pollution. They were keeping all the you know all the 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 riffraff, riffraff in Hollywood. Yeah, anybody who wasn't you know white Protestant, you know middle class, they were not welcome in Burbank. Was Burbank a squeaky clean uh, city in the '80s? It was crazy squeaky. Did it, did it 
you know, obviously Rio always thinks you live out here, so they assume everything is Hollywoody. Was did it feel like an industry place, or did you just feel like you were just a valley kid living like a, a Southern California life? I felt like a valley kid living a Southern California life. Hollywood was a whole world away, completely disconnected. Completely disconnected. My my dad was a carpenter. My mom uh, coordinated weddings, so at a restaurant. Um, so yeah, there was no affili- affiliation with show business. So every you know. When I got into music, that was really my introduction to it. And at a pretty young age, I was coming over the hill to see bands in Hollywood. I was say, were you on the strip hanging out? Yeah, where or? would you go? Well, I mean, when I was 12, I saw like Dead Kennedys Holy and Flipper. Sh- at, when you were 12? Yeah, at the Whiskey A Go Go. Right in the height Dead of like. Dead Kennedys with so, Jello Biafra? Yeah, the yeah. Real, 1981, the real, Fresh oh, Fruit, Fighting Vegetables. Like De- Holiday in Cambodia was like the hit on Rodney Dude, on the Rock. Dude, I love, I love that song, man. Dude, yeah. I love I mean, yeah. I was, I my heart was pounding. <sighs> and suddenly I'm in this room with, you know. And the whiskey's not that big. No. Must have felt huge when you were that young, but it was ma- it was huge, and I was you know, I was still a virgin. I didn't smoke a cigarette yet, and like I was like, "This is crazy," <laughs> and I had my homemade black flag shirt on, and I was just like, I couldn't believe I was in the same room as you know these these this band who was the singers hurling himself often on the stage as our. There's violence and there's yeah, it's scary. Mosh pits and yeah, it was slam dancing. It hadn't even mosh, moshing wasn't moshing even a wasn't term either, yet. It was yeah. just p- people were slam dancing and beating each other up, and it was it was scary and it was exhilarating. And it was like prior to that, you know, it'd been like it all been in my head, like Cheap Trick and Kiss were like these big, these big rock bands that you would see pictures of in arenas and Cream magazine and stuff like that. But it in that world, you would go into it and you were in it. You know, you're right there with the, the performers were right there. Yeah. You know, they, so you, their sweat was hitting you. Like, yeah, really yeah. So it was really, it was very, you know, combative, and you were, you were, you really felt like you were a part of it. It wasn't like you bought a ticket and you were this, this out, you know, bystander. So anyway, that that, but but then you go back to Burbank, and it was this this still place that felt like it was in a lost time. You know, I had a paper out, and I just remember going up like Magnolia Boulevard, which is now in Magnolia Park, which is now very popular, and there's lots of little shops and stuff, like from Hollywood Way to Buena Vista, say. Yeah. Um, but in the in the early eighties it was there was nothing. It was just this really depressing, like, I gotta get out of here. Yeah. It, it sounds like what like, like the, the suburbs the, the E. T. Like kind of like suburbs, like preso- just like the ju- It wasn't even that E. T. was a little more homogenized where it was like a little nicer. Burbank was a little run down, uh, actually. Okay. Even like those those post World War Two houses were, you know, some of them were just a little crack they they needed a little do some work. Little, little work, you know. A little so buffering. Was, little yeah. Buffering. And nobody, I didn't know anybody in show business. My my best friend um, I ended up meeting was, he ended up, he was a model for Gemco, uh, like a JCPenney catalog. Ah. <laughs> so he was like a, a star, you know. Print model. He was print yeah, model. he was a print model. So I f- I'm familiar with those people. Yeah, Brian did some print model work oh, as a child. there you go. I could see it. <laughs> but um, so it was like, you know, that was my introduction to it. so i found it all on my own it was all just like i made all those discoveries um by taking the bus to hollywood and just kind of like seeing a, a a very young angeline and dennis woodruff wandering around very just young being, angeline. Wow. yeah i was just gonna ask you those so- are those are how for anyone who doesn't know dennis woodruff and angeline are i guess you'd call them hollywood staples they've been yeah. fixtures in this town for a, a, what seems like an eternity Angeline is just a, a blonde woman who drives a or a, a pink vet who that says Angeline on the license plate and like some old guy gives her money to live. And 
buys her billboards and buys her billboards that they put up all over town. Yeah, yeah. There, wasn't there just the big expose recently where she was very upset the fact well, that yeah, yeah, that, was, so that was pull back the curtain. Of, the, the veil dropped on Angeline after like, and I had a lifelong obsession. So I remember you know coming to Hollywood nineteen you know eighty eighty one and and seeing. Her and just being obsessed. She had an album out, and if you know, most people don't know. <laughs> no. She had a weird, Ooh. like, very new wavy kind of. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, it was like I would assume she probably said, like, in my mind, she went to her producer. I want to be Debbie Harry from Blondie, so let's do that. So it was like kind of her with you know guys with black bowl cuts in background playing, you know, pulsating, yeah, uh, you know, downstrokey eighth note kind of rock. <laughs> it wasn't great, and the yeah. album was not nothing to write home about. Um, and then I had a ups- long time obsession with her and my wife invited her hired her to come to my 30th birthday party Tra- i had a travel town yeah i was just i just turned 30 and i had my friends show up on an afternoon because i as a kid growing up in burbank you'd go to this travel yeah. you know this train museum yeah in take burbank. the kids into it yeah so i was like reliving that with all my friends and and all of a sudden i hear my nieces go barbie's here barbie's here <laughs> and there she is in person in, insane hot afternoon. She's there in a little the, mini skirt. Done up, yeah. I mean. Yeah, done up. And the deal is when you hire Angelina, when you did, when I turned 30, now I'm 50, so 20 years ago, you got to go for a ride in the pink Corvette. Oh. And since oh. and since I was in Griffith Park, I got to go for a ride with Angelina Griffith Park. Wow. And I'm thinking, Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the bottom of this because I was just uh, who is Angelina? Yeah, like, what you know, is going on? Yeah, here? you, just you thought for sure she was gonna dish because you guys were because she sees cool with me. Oh, uh, with you seem my awesome. Friend. Yeah, you'll I'll talk to you about anything. <laughs> so I realized as we're driving through the wine, that Rob's a good listener. Yeah, this guy's cool. Uh, <laughs> again, wrong. But, so we're driving through the hills of uh, by the observatory, basically. And uh, I realize you get one of three answers with her. Uh, you know, there's like a yes, no, and a <laughs> and that's kind <laughs> of it. They don't doesn't really waver from that. So we're driving around, and and uh, meanwhile, I got like a hundred people back at my big birthday party, and that's all happening and fine and moving. And we're we're driving through Griffith Park, and then we kind of hit this dead end, uh, which, unbeknownst to me, was a gay cruising area ah. where I see one of my friends on the prowl. Oh. And he is sitting in his car by himself waiting for, you know, a date, yeah. basically. And we laid eyes on each other, and he and I'm sitting with Angeline. <laughs> so I feel like... So he thinks you're about to get some some Angeline. Hell yeah. King Farouk over here. Like <laughs> I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. I'm being spotted by, you know, my f- friend. And he sees me, and he's like, Oh my God! What are you doing here? I'm like, what are you doing here? <laughs> Here's what I'm doing. You know, I'm with Angeline. So anyway, it was this funny little moment. And, um, <laughs> but anyhow, when you're I, done, come to my birthday party. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyhow, point is, yeah, the couple year, maybe just a year ago, um, somebody got a hold of the records and the internet, like how it's you know destroying so like stuff like Scientology, bringing down stuff like Scientology. Yeah. It just boom, they got the story, and. Is it's boring? Yeah, it's, it's really like you, the veil drops, and you're like, eh, it's that. You just another. She just want to be. Yeah, someone just want to be famous, and that's kind of it. Like yeah. you're kind of hoping there would have been some arc or struggle to that. No, she just built a brand and stuck to it. Yeah, that's, that's why, why there's no answers. movie made. That's why it's it's not that interesting of a story. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, she branded herself. She she did this. She found people to help give her money and. Yeah, and I don't That's think, that. and I'm not sure she was she was gifted or nurtured a talent because 
certainly on the the record was is kind of unlistenable. That was like from again like the nineteen eighty that goes way back. Yeah. But then I'd seen her. I'd I'd performed on events where she was brought in as a host, and uh, or a guest or a performer like on a bill with other acts. Uh, yeah. And boy, there's the, the lights are on, but nobody's home. She she kind of gets in front of a group of people and goes. Hi, look, I'm, it's me, and then yeah. like leaves. Like she she doesn't she does, like, there's not a a stand up thing. She doesn't have like a, a five minute. Yeah, you know. There's when no I'm act, driving down Sunset. It's like Homer Simpson blowing a three hundred game. And then <laughs> exactly. Keeps, keeps talking about it. And did someone say three hundred? Like what? No, that was like a month ago, dude. No one wants <laughs> to talk about that anymore. Like exactly. So I I think you know there's there. There isn't anything where you can point to her talent and go, well, what is she? Yeah, she's not know? a rapper. She's not a lyricist. No, she's her not talent a... is the fact that the three of us know who she is and we are talking about her. So that's, that's pretty much minutes. it. But, she, yeah, but exactly. she's, do you think she's mad that she missed the... She all, all she literally had to do would have been to... Now We know now all you have to do is release a sex tape. Or a reality or, show. But that's how you get the reality show. But she, that, that's the, the thing, tape. is she didn't want that, right? She had to maintain the level of mystery, and maybe it was because she really didn't have anything to offer. And I don't mean that in a bad way. What I'm saying is that, it's like using the reality shows as, as a launching point, they want you to be over the top. They want you to be out of your mind. They want you to do crazy yeah. stuff, because that's what's going to draw the listeners. And if she's just kind of in a shell, and it's all about just the look, and she's also you now see how limited that have is brain issues you know what i mean she might literally not be very bright or, or maybe she is and she just literally doesn't care about anything else that the look I think uh, i'm going with john I, yeah i mean <laughs> well you did he, you did spend time with her he's so. seen her go yeah. up on stages and you know what i mean like if if you're just going look at me like if you can't even like joke about things or like you have no presence on stage you have no wherewithal to be like hey maybe i should give somebody 50 bucks to write five minutes of like angeline material you know what I mean? Like, I then, guess. Then you go. I mean, that would be, again, that would be my thought. It's like if I had absolutely no personality and I was like, everyone look at me, but I want everyone to look at me, I'd have to offer something. Well, she does come from the time of what was it? Was it Morgana, the Kissing Bandit, or something? The, the woman that used to run in oh, the, baseball on the baseball games field with and, the huge and, and, boobs. Yeah. Oh. That they she, put in Kingpin, like that. that yeah, same character. She in was also got like. Miller Lite commercials. I yeah. mean, she actually yeah. got work out of being basically breaking the law, but still, yeah, you know, some street, yeah. uh, running onto a field. That, yeah. It's just a different time, I guess. The whole look at me thing, I think, was just big back then. And now you kind of have to have more than just stare at you me. You do. Yeah. There's got to be, you've got to have at least five minutes. Yeah. 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 And, and, and from that, you really need to, to grow it because otherwise people just catch on to that five minutes immediately and they're like, oh, okay. Like, very short attention span, but also like focused on like, you know, I've heard that. I, I know that. What are you doing? You can't tell that again. Like, yeah, so what uh, else? So Burbank boy goes over to Holly, big scary Hollywood at, at age twelve. Uh, your parents were do, was it a parents drop off? You go with your other friends. Like, R T D baby two twelve. Throw the books in the locker. Dude, hop, the two twelve goes. All oh, you didn't even. You're us. not like, hey, mom and dad, I'm going. You well, there. Well, there was th that happened as well, and and um, boy, that came to a halt. In 1982, and I was my mom dropped. So my mom was dropping us off at concerts. Was the thing for a while. Oh yeah, and it was like, mom, you're gonna drop us off four blocks away. I was just gonna room. ask. And you're gonna get out of here. <laughs> for and you're gonna five get out of here because you don't need to see that. And then and then you're gonna we're gonna pick you're gonna come on this street <laughs> corner. So here's the this as if my memory serves me correct. Um, the band the Plasmatics. I don't know if you know who they yeah. are. They were a band fronted by a singer named Wendy Williams who. Um, would destroy 
things on stage. Like she would she get a chainsaw. Very physical. Yeah, physical. She would just um, saw up gu- guitars and half of the chainsaw, and then they blew up a bus one night <laughs> in Pasadena. Yeah, At the show, a place called Perkins Palace it was an old theater. And so my mom drops us off at 6 o'clock, and uh, everything's fine. And then at the end of the night, I leave the gig, and it was and, and I was really, it was one of the last sort of punk shows I had seen because these guys are beating each other up. It's and getting real and, bad. Yeah, and you're like, well, I don't need, this is like not, like, I can't. And I, I like music, not fighting. I like, yeah, and for me, <laughs> it was like, I had, I'd seen enough of those shows to, to, to go, I'm a white middle class kid. I got it really good. I, like I've just overcome a lot of crazy stuff in life. I was just like was blossoming as a like as a human, and I was feeling good about being alive. And all these kids are just just going nuts on each other. And it's kind of like I think I'm I'm this is I'm I'm going to get out of this gig. So I walk out, and there's my mom parked right in front oh of the no. Perkins Palace. And I and I go out just enough time to see the door on the side of the stage open and two large men in yellow jackets, security jackets, take this kid and throw him. He's shirtless. He has a big old mohawk onto the roof of my mother's car. Oh, oh great. Where he rolls off it. And my and my mother's this lovely Scottish woman. She's just like, has not, not a bad bone in her body. She just doesn't think bad thoughts. Right. And here's this. And I just watch <laughs> her for the first, one of the first times. Like, oh, my God. She's like freaking out. So I'm like, oh my god, oh my god! And then the show lets out, and all these, you know, two crazy lunatics are, yeah. come running out. And it's like, so I'm gathering my friends, and we get let's get the, out of here. Yeah, like oh, they're gonna see us with mom and beat us up. <laughs> so we get out of there, and and then my mom got into this thing called Tough Love, which was like troubled teens. Yeah, um, it was big back then. Big back then, she got into that, and she's like, she basically begged me to not to. Would you have classified yourself as a troubled teen though, or that's just how what she classified you as? She did because of you know because of, these, of what she saw. Yeah, what she saw. No, I wasn't. I wouldn't. I mean, I was as troubled as anybody. But did she realize that what she saw was a scene from a John Hughes movie? Basically, yes. what you just yeah, described I mean, that, that right there. Yeah. Like, like you come out sure. like, oh my god, my mom bouncers. Oh my god, throwing mohawk guy yeah, onto yeah. hood of car. It's like, a total uh, better off dead moment or it, something it like was, that. Uh, you know, I knew as a kid, I knew it was cinematic. <laughs> I'm like, this is <laughs> insanity. Is anyone like, rolling on this? Yeah. <laughs> But I remember it well, and and um, you know, it's it's, and I've documented it recently. Well, in the past twelve years, I I've been working on a memoir, and it's coming out um, in just a few months. And oh, really? And that, oh, like, for example, that a version of that story is in the is I've I've kind of articulated it and kind of put it into to words. And well, what I find great, interesting man. about this, though, is it sounds like you and your mom simultaneously were moving in a different direction. Like you, I don't think your mom did. Your mom realize that even you were like, ah, I'm done with this whole thing. Uh, she had, I remember we dropped off and she's like, you know, no, no more punk rock concerts. And I'm like, yeah, mom, no yeah, more punk I rock agree. Con. Like, I think, yeah. I think I'm good. And then, and then the, 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 the flip side of that was, you know, not long after that, I'm down on Melrose and there's this, these, these, this team of youths on Vespas come by with wraparound shades and big parkas and mods, right? They were like the the mod yeah from like the to come British up. British sixties exactly yes from Brighton Beach like the, the, the early Who stuff yeah, yeah exactly so these kids are another form of youth rebellion is this is another subculture that's happening probably didn't happen in the Midwest no. as much but nope out here it was I had a Honda Spree and somebody threw something at me once but other than that <laughs> yeah was, we didn't do scooters mm, so much that yeah weren't, that this weren't is, used to like this jump was a, things yeah it was a very different yeah in L A it was it was you know subcultures were popping up like goth was death rock you yeah know? So, so it was very like 
there was different camps of all this stuff. And if you were into that stuff, you almost had to like pick a lane and you were, this was how you, this was your identity. Yeah, that's who you were then. Yeah, so I, I made a switch over into the mod world, which was just as weird because there was no zero mod kids in Burbank. And I'm <laughs> wearing a parka like in the, you know, it's 105 <laughs> fucking degrees. Driving a scooter like it's like getting a hot air dryer in your Did face. You yeah. a, Did you get a Vespa? Oh yeah, of oh, course. That's awesome. Yeah, I had a Lambretta and I, which was like an Italian uh, kind of Vespa. Uh, crashed it, got six stitches on my finger. I was just going to ask you, how yeah. long did it take before you got in the accident? First day, everybody but, says. <laughs> yep. Yeah, first day, blood everywhere. Got to go get stitched up. But then, um, you know, so anyway, it was like one subculture of the next. That was kind of you know how it was for me. But that's up. youth, right? I mean, of course yeah. you're going to experiment. You're trying you're to trying figure to out where you fit in and what your thing is, yeah. and like. You don't realize that early on that it's okay to have to be into a lot of different stuff and to like all kinds of shit. No, and to because never limit yourself. Certainly not because the kids that I got into punk rock with were like, it was not cool to be a mod. No, they were so, like, yeah, they were, yeah, what are you doing? And the dork? mods didn't like the punk rockers and the goths didn't like the. It was all yeah. this very the skate rats couldn't hang out with the jocks who couldn't no. hang out with the burnouts who yeah. couldn't hang out when really Once everyone again. just wants to smoke a joint and listen to some good tunes. Yeah, Precisely. you guys are not. You're in your own your own West Side Story, right? Yes. Yes, the mods and the the mods yeah. and the punks. <laughs> the uh, did you still keep going to music shows, just not punk shows? Like what else yeah, did you so the, see? I mean, that's so the beauty of living out here. I mean, yeah, I'm assuming you realize that's, now. I think for sure was a, was must have been huge for you because you could jump around and see different. Well, it opened up, so there was all these like that was a, there was a mod revival. Um, you know, there's like a power pop thing, like bands like the Buzzcocks, the Jam. Uh, there's a million other bands that were kind of. In the spirit of punk, that was they were fast and upbeat, but they were a little more skinny tie and bowl cutty, kind of like punk version of the Beatles. Mm-hmm. That's what I like, I was like to refer to something like that. Um, and there was a whole thing that happened in L.A. called Paisley Underground. Um, there were bands like um, the Three O'clock, Dream Syndicate, Rain Parade, uh, the Bangles were part of that. Okay. you know, so there was like it was this kind of '60s revival thing. Got all into that, and then that opened up the doors to like. What was like the Smiths and Echo and the Bunnymen, and that was like mid '80s. That's when I started playing music. So by the time I got my bass, it was like I had already seen a lot of bands, and I, you know, kind of really appreciated punk and '60s stuff and the Monkees. You had all these different influences yeah. up to that point. So you'd Kiss, Cheap Trick, so like all the stuff from the little kids. So I, I was pretty, excuse me, I was pretty well rounded. Yeah, that's and great. Actually, by the mid '80s, I was like, yeah, okay, I, I get, I want to do this. Like it was like I had my own little black belt for me in music, like. Cause I was ahead. Every like everybody, people would come to me and say, "Hey, can you tell me about this record?" You yeah. know, I was like, I constantly, you know, I was a source for for that. And I was, I had a fake ID, and I was, you know, one of the few guys that would was going to Hollywood to see shows. So it was, it was a neat time where I felt like I was slightly advanced. <laughs> Instead yeah. of doing drugs, you were dealing music information. Well, I was yeah. doing that too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Oops, got to yeah. pay for those concert tickets. Were you, uh, were you a big, were you a big vinyl guy? Vinyl? Were you a cassette? Were you a, oh, a vinyl yeah. or a cassette? Like where? where vinyl, where? I mean, yeah, forty fives, LP, yeah, for sure, vinyl. Where were you buying your stuff back then? Is that back when Virgin Records was still hopping, or were you no, going Virgin, Amoeba? No, was Amoeba no, back? No, 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 no. Those places hadn't. You're still fifteen years out from those places. So Virgin ha- wasn't there yet. So what Tower was Records back then? Was Tower, Tower, Tower Records? Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, was pretty huge. They had a good import section, and then if you went up the street. There was a place called Licorice Pizza. It was a West Coast thing. Okay. And Licorice Pizza was amazing. That no was Effects really... sings about Licorice Pizza. What's that? No Effects has a l- couple lines about Licorice oh, Pizza yeah, in I'm the sure. song. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. So there was one on Sunset right across the street from the Whiskey A Go-Go where okay. Oz is now. Okay. And they had this great logo. It was like a girl with like 20s. Like she had these curls. And she was holding this, like a record, real sexy, you know, like a pinup kind of thing. 
and they had great records in there. Um, so yeah, that's Licorice Pizza. There was a place called Vinyl Fetish on Melrose. It was good. That was it. And Licorice Pizza had a. Well, there was one in the Valley, um, as well. So I'd go there. And then Auditory Odyssey was another one on Laurel Canyon and Victory. So there was a handful of places that were always you know you could get your forty fives and and then but but really it was Rodney on the Rock. I, we had a great DJ here in L.A. Oh, I'm familiar. Iconic. I inadvertently met him one night at a party, oh and people God. were like, "This is Rodney." Uh, and I was Rodney like, on okay. The rock. And I, yeah. he's a very interesting fella. Oh yeah. But when I actually when I I watched the documentary on him, and sure. he's had he's been a huge influencer out here, right? Is Ma- that, Ma- yeah. Mayor of the Sunset Strip? Yeah. yeah, it was a great, really good, sad. Unfortunately, it was a sad documentary that I, yeah. I was disappointed in it because I feel like I could have celebrated. Yes, his life is it it certainly is dynamic, but man, the guy is had incredible and still is living a pretty interesting life. I feel like they it was, they really focused on the sadness of yeah. his, you know. That's too bad. Where's my because a guy like that who like if you if everyone knows about him he's like a like an inf- he's like a it's like a Kevin Lee light the G, uh, sunset Jesus you know what I mean it's just a guy who like everyone sort of knew and like mm-hmm. there's no sense in focusing on like what might be a negative aspect of it when this guy influenced people and was positive and like everyone was, like had a good time with him and you know so I, that's too bad they focused on the. More depressing. They really did. Yeah, it was. It was really like they made it really at this. They painted a very pathetic portrait of him, and I thought it was unfair. But for know. him, he was. Uh, for you, he was an. He was an influence. Was he on K Rock at that time, or was yeah. he on another? So he was. He was doing a Sunday thing. Correct. It was a Sunday show that I tuned into around 1980. That just it changed my. I mean, it's literally like I have it all my sticks in Kansas and Cheap Trick and Kiss Records. And then listen to Rodney for three weeks, and I just those records are right to the back, and start collecting dust. And it was all like just listen and write down, you know, names of bands, and just he would just play the greatest set list of, of stuff. And a lot of it was right here. It was very Southern California, uh, yeah, local, local, yeah, bands, local. Lo- came out of the area, exactly. And then he would throw in, but then would throw in like a monkey's track next to the Go Go's or X or you know the Screamers or any any number of bands. So yeah, he he was really influential for me in in a lot of ways, and I've got to meet him over the years. And he and then I had a band. So later I started my own band, and and he ended up playing us, and I got to have my own little Rodney moments with that. And, I was and say, really, how was that for you? It was exhilarating. It was <coughs> like okay, I guess like, but it was that was in the '90s when it was past the days of him making or breaking a band. So although it was nice to hear his voice saying your band's name, it wasn't like it was going to. You, you know, good. launch us into the big time world. Like I think early on with like bands like the Go Go's, and a lot of other bands that he kind of broke. I guess no doubt he broke in the early '90s. Like he was playing. He was very yeah big supporter of of them. But he gives it the nod. It's like Johnny Carson calling a comic over, you know, exactly. to the couch. It was huge back in the day, and now you get a late night spot, and you're lucky if like ten of your friends well, see it. You know? in perspective, because I exactly. used to this. And here it comes in three, two, one. In perspective, I used to work in radio. Hello, so. Brian was in radio, everybody. <laughs> but I, similar to you, before I ever got into radio, um, I desired other music. I kind of had a, the same trajectory as as you did in respects to. I grew up with all that other stuff that you're talking about because I had it in my family. I was the youngest of seven, so I was exposed to all that 70s rock, all that 60s. Then you got the 80s bubblegum. Um, for me, where I was, ska was huge in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee. Oh, ska wow. was a really, really big... Oh, yeah, yeah. We really love ska. Wow. That's why I got into ska. But um, huh. but during that time, 
uh, you you had to you had your exposure to other music because Milwaukee, Wisconsin was was very top forty, very rock oriented. Yeah, you had to get these almost kind of like you had to find it on your own, whether it was a a low signaled college radio station and or the late Sunday night programming that to them whatever station it was on was throwaway. But you're being exposed to all these bands mm-hmm. that nobody had ever heard of, and then 120 minutes became really popular on MTV, and then the explosion uh, of alternative rock stations kind of, I think, took the guys like Rodney on the Rock and all that kind of stuff. Even though they incorporated them, the exposure now was 24 hours a day, and it, it kind of they kind of like took it and bastardized it a little bit, I guess, but they made it a little more mainstream. Sure. You know, which I think, yeah. which neutralized their power and their influence, you know, to what they once had because they were the only game in town. You know, yeah, yeah, that's that's for that's now. This true. band, the band was was that Possum Dixon. Yeah, so then I started I started that band in '89, just a few years after high school. Yeah. With, with uh, friends, with people, yeah, college friends buddies, and high yeah. school buddies, and yeah, I was literally just uh, kicking around um, in kind of really had a, this burning desire to have my own band. I played in, you know, a handful of bands at that point, playing just playing bass and trying my own hand and nothing had really stuck. And then I was 20, 21, and um, just took all those, yeah, all, the, all these crazy influences and put them into my own little thing, and we started kicking around the coffee house circuit. Um, this is still... Here, yeah. So all, every my whole story is L.A. Okay, yeah. so did you and you you were in college. You did not go to. College I went to school. junior college. I went to L.A. Valley College. Okay, so you stayed lo- local. There I did. I stayed local, but I was lucky enough to meet um, two really important people that um, were my age that wanted more than just to go to a four year college and start some job they didn't want to fall into. Which is, I was in that category myself, and so we put our heads together and opened up a coffee house called Jabberjaw which was uh, a very unique um, coffee house that turned into a live venue that was in on Pico Boulevard in a very sketchy area of, of L.A., yeah. just south of K-Town. And it, um, and it featured live bands, and so I, you know, we helped get it up and running, and within a couple of years, like Nirvana played there. Wow. Um, and yeah, that was like the t- and Cole used to practice there. Jesus. So Courtney Love was a, a kind of a one of the central figures running around pre-Kurt, you know, before they yeah. Even got but Hole was its own thing that wasn't associated with Nirvana. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Hole first Hole was just um, it was yeah this guy uh, Eric Aronson and Courtney and then it, there's two other girls in the band not the ones that kind of made the records but they were did some 45s and yeah. stuff. But yeah, a very determined Courtney Love was kind of you know marching around the joint, and you've really got the idea that she was going to be someone you know in yeah. the world. This is the '80s still, or this what is, is this? Um, like '89, '89, yeah, '89, okay. '90. So that, but so so Jabberjaw was this like for me instead of going to college, I kind of got like my real education and like because I was I was booking bands there and there's, there's I was at art galleries, there was art shows, there was a micro movie theater where we'd play like John Waters movies and. Other weird culty gross yeah. stuff, um, yeah. So anyway, it was a really fun world to kind of be around and uh, and this and you had your own band too at the same time. Yeah. So, so Boston Nixon starts as we're doing that and like um, so we're playing there and then we start bopping around other places. But meanwhile, hair metal's still popular. Yeah. You know? um, it had Nirvana had never mind hadn't come out not yet. Yeah, yeah, it was coming. It was just on the. It was right on the. It was on the verge, and then like. The, like what was what would be called grunge, like those bands were pretty pop, like the sub pop stuff was starting to creep up, and yeah. 
Drag City, Touch and Go, all those kind of indie, that whole indie world was really starting to rise. Matador, Pavement, and Spoon, and bands like that were just forming, you know? Yeah. So it was fun that we got to play with lots of those bands and meet them and kind of start our own thing. And then 93, signed a record contract with Interscope Records and made three records and then went on to kind of live the dream that I had when I was a little kid about, you know, touring and being in a band and... World tour? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, many. Quite a, quite a, I mean... Pretty much. Were yeah. you able to take advantage of it in the sense that a lot of musicians end up seeing the inside of hotel rooms in every you know part of the world, but they don't get to go check out like like if you go somewhere like Prague, Prague is a, is a living museum, you know. But if you're inside of a you know Best Western or whatever, there's no seeing Prague. Oh yeah, I mean it was a low. They were these were basically low rent tours, so it was it was you know I mean even though we had a label and they were we were staying in you know lower end hotels, we got right. to go and, you know, experience those places. But the U.S., most that's where we did most of our, yeah. our tours. Um, definitely got to go to Milwaukee and <laughs> toured with Violent Femmes, obviously, a lot. Yeah. I was going to ask, yeah, if you, have lot. you ever been to, did you ever do radio at, what's your radio station? What are the calls? It, it was LUM, New Rock 1021, but he probably, I mean, you uh, at this point, you probably did so many things. I mean. It was a blur. Every yeah. day, you pull into town and you, you go to do, do press. And I will say, yeah. though, that for is, Milwaukee was... And, and maybe you will agree or disagree, but for the for the bands that I knew, they actually liked going through Milwaukee. It was a very receptive city. Music for, for fans, the, man. For this, yeah, they love. They give a shit. It it wasn't like it it wasn't. Uh, oh, we only want rock and country. I mean, they love. There was a whole scene that was there and always has been there. That's been that's been great and really. Oh yeah, no, I I agree. I I, I felt like that for ev- everywhere in the U.S. So we we were. Introduced to touring through the band The Dead Milkman was they, oh. took, they took us out for f- three months. Dude, that is fantastic. Solid three month tour, and I'll tell you, there's no way to really get to see the pre-internet world of like how college rock works. You go out with a band like that who had a huge cult, let's call it a cult following. Yeah. And every venue you pull into the town and it looks totally dead, and there's 200 kids lined up around the block with these big old Dead Milkman shirts that are way too big for them, and they go in, they're going nuts for this band. And the band is there with zines, and they're doing their like sign, you know, sign stuff for their fans, and they're really like they really connected on that. They were true DIY artists, yeah. Dead Milkman, and they we watched, we got to open up for them like for three months. You can imagine what how cool that was. Yeah, and we really got a sense of how to do that. You know, you learned, you learned. Yeah, we yeah. yeah we took we took a lot of notes, and we and every night was a party, and it was I was in my very early twenties, and. And took advantage of all that stuff. Well, so. and you know, again, Absolutely, as man. you should enjoy. I was it. not in the ride. band in my early twenties, and I took advantage <laughs> of yeah partying sure. all the time. Exactly. You know? I mean, yeah. I fancied that I could still have like there was still part of me in my early twenties was like you know I do play the guitar still like there's still that and now I'm like nah can't even like I try to start a family band that didn't even go well so oh, like a cow sills. The uh, um, <laughs> it's not uh, too late. Can we? Well, he has to have a family first. They well, all no, left. Me, they all like left. With him. My, ne- my niece, my brother-in-law, my you know, I got a family. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, but thanks for you know taking me seriously. <laughs> the uh, uh, can I take a step back? I'm just curious. Like for, for for you when you start when you put the band together, did it? Did you really want to be the guys that wanted to get the record deal that wanted a tour, or was this just a thing that you were doing and it just happened to be? Like at what at what point was it? You're like, oh well, this is gonna happen. Like you know that back then, you know, record deals. That's it's a big deal. Like now, it's a little bit trickier because the world has changed so much. But yeah. 
I mean, and Interscope was one of the cool ones, too. That's but I mean, from day one, we wanted to have an audience like, I don't know, Sonic Youth or Pixies or like, you know, you go see a band at a theater and you're like, well, these guys have made it. Like that, this is, they're, yeah. they're doing this and you'd read about it and they're going, and they're in, going traveling to Germany or they're going to Japan or whatever. Red Cross was a big, I love Red Cross. So like you see these bands that were doing it on these kind of national level and you go that, if I can do that, I'm probably not going to have to have a day job and I'm going to get to do, this is my dream. So yeah. that was always our goal. So by putting out our own 45s and making our own little, like I was, I was just creating stuff, you know, I made little poetry chap books and had little zines and stuff and was kind of dialed into the college world. And yeah, it was, that was kind of my life for about four years, I'd say. So we wanted to be successful, but not successful in a way. Like I didn't want to be the post, like I was much more handsome when I was younger. And the, when we did sign interscope, like you have a, we could sell your band based on if we could just pull you out in the front a little bit, we can probably make this work. And, uh, you know, I was not into that at all. Everything was like, it's all equal. I'm in a band. This is how this, all, we, all wow. the interviews are done with the band. Don't, none, none of that. And so I, you know, that was the beginning of like fighting. We had a lot of conflict with the label. I was just going to ask you how they felt about that. Yeah. I was <laughs> not no, they, into, they didn't like that you wouldn't do what you were told, I'm sure. Yeah. yeah. And there was a lot of that. Yeah. And I went with like, oh, you should work with this producer because they produced, you know, Nirvana or this guy worked with this other hit maker that just put out some successful record. And we were like, every inch of the way, we're like, no, we just want to get the guy that produced all the bands that Rodney did, Earl Mankey, who did Sparks and Concrete Blonde and 2020 and the Dickies and all these fun bands that we liked. So we wanted to work with, you know, we wanted to keep it real, you know, like it was our thing. We wanted to be like an art punk kind of thing. You you met the business. We met the business. And at first it was like, we fought, it was like, there was a lot, you know, so I, I kind of sabot in 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 retrospect. I can honestly say I think I sabotaged my music career, partially that, and then I was I had other personal problems that was that um, prevented me from doing what I could have done. Well, better. yeah, I mean, I don't know if if you're you're living in regret or not, but it's just like you know you're you know as, as we all now know when we get older. Uh, and the research comes out that also uh, apparently the adult male brain doesn't fully develop until the age of 25. So it explains a lot about poor decision making, probably in our early 20s, you yeah. know. And, and so you kind of go with what you know at the time mm-hmm. and what you believe. And some of it, you later you're like, oh my God, I, seriously, that's what I was standing firm on? Like, you know, whatever. I mean, yeah. I, I, in the end, that's kind of how you look at it. One of the things also I wanted to take another step back, because I don't think this generation can fully grasp what you're talking about. But the idea of having to independently produce hard copies of stuff and what the process is in getting all of that done and realizing that there's no helper doing it, you're doing it. Yeah. The beginning, the middle, and end. You're writing the songs, you're recording the songs, or you're playing and practicing them, then you got to go record them somewhere. you got to find that guy. Yeah. Then you're talking about 45, so you got somebody that's pressing them. Yeah. Somebody's got to hand those things out. If you're doing outreach, right, yeah. trying to get them to specific people to listen to. Of course. It's a process. Can you take us through a little bit of like how you did all that stuff? Yeah, I was obsessive about it. I loved I loved this, the art, creating artwork. For, for me, it was... The joy, it was a great joy because I had control over going, well, we're going to do a 45 for some um, flip side records, let's just say. Okay, great. So what do I want the record cover to be? Oh, what if it was this? So I start cutting and pasting stuff and gluing all that together and then working on a layout. And then I was in a rubber stamp. So we'd put like each one would be rubber stamped individually. 
and then we had a newsletter that w- we'd send out to people to come to our shows, and that was all handwritten, and then I would Xerox it. So the, a lot of time <laughs> on the Xerox machine was scissors and glue, and then silk screening our shirts. would like get a design together and sit Doing there in my that, apartment yeah. and silk screen each one. So each thing you're handing out, you're like, and we had little matchbooks that we made that I would, st- like, again, with the rubber stamp, but we had this box set of 45s called um, Music for a One-Bedroom Apartment. That was living in, that's where I was living in a one-bedroom apartment, <laughs> so it seemed like a smart thing to, to do that. <laughs> right what you know. Yeah, so we had this little, so then in this little box, in this little square box, you'd get Music for a One-Bedroom Apartment. It had three 45s and some artwork that I created in there. And everything was, had like a hand touch to it. So every time one would go out, it was like, yeah, we, I hand-stamped this thing. And it, y- you had this pride of ownership or pride of like, yeah, I did this. This is my this is my life. And and I knowing God well, it wasn't the best thing in the world. Like knowing that some people were really gonna like it, and most people probably weren't. Like that, I knew where we. I, I knew I didn't think I were gonna be you two or something. Right, was right. Not, wasn't no, it. but you knew you'd read the people you reached that liked you would really like you. Yeah, that's you know exactly what, I mean? what that's what it was. And I felt like we you know kind of connected on a on a strong level. And also, the thing about that time was then grunge did start coming in, and we were very. Like I saw that thing, co- I saw that whole movement come. Like this is not for me. This is like kind of hessery thing. Like like it was a. I was familiar with it. And I dug. I liked a lot of it. But I was like, I'm not. This is not a band. I'm. I'm not. This is not my thing. You saw it happen. I'm assuming right at your club, right? You probably saw the oh, groundswell. Yeah. I mean, you could oh. see. Yeah, you could see these bands coming up and how yeah, the, oh, the, for the sure. draw and oh my it, God. different energy, right? Like I mean, you just notice. Yeah, it was like there was a like a big Zeppelin thing to it, or like um, like a Sabbath thing. It was just, and at that point, like my my musical influence was really narrowing down to a very particular small focus of like the Dada world and uh, like very few art rock bands from the seventies. There was like four of them. I was like, this, this is my my world was like this, yeah. and everybody else <laughs> was like, yeah, man, this and sub pop. They're all kind of sounding like this. Just massive distortion and, you know, guys, you know, wailing. And, like, I got it. And I was like, but it wasn't for me. So we even in that, as that thing was happening, we were kind of this marginal band. There wasn't a lot of bands that were doing that. But we were kind of, we had to play with all those bands because we were in that, mm-hmm. kind of in that world, you know. So That's anyway. great. Did you ever play with Nirvana? No, but yeah. I got to see, th- I didn't, uh, no, never played with them, but got to see them live. Um, at the Palladium. Whoa! They opened for Sonic Youth. Wow! And, they were um, opening. I was I was going with one of the band members from the band L Seven. Oh yeah. Um, and she's she was had was dating one of the members of Nirvana, wow. and so w- I didn't know this when we were going to see them. <laughs> uh, I had no idea. Uh, but she said, "Let's go see Nirvana. It's great." So. And they were like college band, you know. They yeah. Ble- Bleach it was out, or never mind, hadn't been out. But it was they, you know, they're a cool band. And so we went backstage because she had passes to go back there, and we went in Sonic Youth's dressing room, and Kim Gordon looked at her, her and then she looked at me. She she didn't know me from Adam because I was nobody, and she said, "You and you get out. You can't be back here." <laughs> so they booted us. Because uh, I guess Finch had, um, the girl I was dating was had done something screwed up in that camp. Ah, uh. so made one of them mad by, I don't know what, but we were persona non grata. 
So we we, <laughs> we got over to the side of the staging, but we got to watch. I got to watch Nirvana right from the. Okay, so you got out of the dressing room, but you didn't get kicked out of completely. Yeah, the so we, yeah. No, so okay. we're like, all right, so that's so all right. I guess this isn't gonna go well. But but then we literally just got to see at you know, the Palladium. The, at the Palladium, oh, and wow. yeah, Kurt was like, I gotta say, like his performing style was amazing because he would jump up in the air, just bounce up, and then fall flat on his back while playing his guitar, and. You know, I'd seen you know Jello be offered, yeah, flapping all over the place. And Wendy Williams saw the guitar in half, and so I felt like I'd seen I don't know a couple hundred bands by yeah by this time. And I was like, this is not my kind of music, but man, that dude can perf—he's so captivating to watch. Yeah, so and he's little, you know, he's just yeah, he's a tiny guy. He's a tiny guy. The other guys I couldn't I couldn't tell you. I guess it was drummer for the Melvins was Dale Grover was playing that night. I learned this later. Um, pre grohl I yeah. guess, and then and Chris was Nova Selich, who's yeah. like ninety feet tall. Yeah, and they, like Cobain. those guys, they were just invisible. Like that, you just you just went like <laughs> that. Yeah. What is going on? It was like watching an insect, like just in in his in his in his element. You yeah, know? really killer to well, see that's that. Great man. I so mean. yeah, so that was really great, and you know, and we played with Hole at like Al's Bar, this small little a place not much bigger than than this room, and not that that was terribly exciting because they weren't. They no, but I mean, no Nirvana, but like, you know, I'm sure it was fun though. I mean, was, Hole always yeah. put on a on a pretty but it was wild. This, show. It was the scene though too. Were you aware during the time that you were part of something, or did it was it was it upon reflection? Well, here's the deal. I I had romanticized the 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 ten year period before the era that I was in. So like when I got into punk and all that stuff, it had kind of already happened. Yeah. So I was twelve. And this was 1980-81, and it had already, like, you know, in 75, 76... Sex already, Pistols, all that stuff kind yeah, of... Yeah, Ramones, Television Blondie. It already happened yeah. in New York. So what we're seeing was this almost residual effect, of, even though it was still very early on, but it felt like I've, I'm too young. And I know, and knowing that, like, I'm 12, I eat Captain Crunch for breakfast and I have to go to seventh grade. These yeah. people are all older. Yeah. Like, I don't... They can buy belong. cigarettes without IDs. And I'm like, not hanging out with these people afterwards. Yeah, like, yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm a little kid, and they're older. They're driving cars. I'm. I have to wait four years before that even happens. So, like, I, I, I in my mind was nostalgic for that that first wave of New York okay. stuff. So, even though I'm, I'm a part of this thing, I'm like, oh, this is this is fine. Oh, this is cool. It was very retro. Like Jabber, the job, the coffeehouse Jabber job, very much honored that first wave of punk, and it was like. Honored John Waters, which was obviously a '70s thing. It's a lot of like weird, like obsessive Charles Manson stuff. So it's like all this weird culty hippie yeah. stuff. So it's all the stuff that already happened, and you're in this in the present of this, but you're like everything was looking back. So it wasn't like oh we're so cool being here now. It's like oh wasn't it cool when Gene Simmons spit blood on his audience right, on his first right. Kiss tour? Like that was everything was like all nodding back. All the cool shit had already happened. Yeah, you're already just, you're yeah. just thinking about. How but cool meanwhile, that used to be. you're on you're playing the gig with Hole, talking about <laughs> how, how cool how, it used how, to how be. Yeah. the Bunny Men were. Yeah. <laughs> so you know what I mean. So we're yeah. not. I was not in it. Yeah. And it's been my problem in life when anytime I've had success later on, like for example, got as I ventured into acting and other in magic and stuff like that. I can be in Zurich, Switzerland, and I'm like, oh, I'm headlining this theater tonight. I, th- people are coming. They bought tickets to see my show. I'm gonna, I've got this whole presentation, and all I want to do is go back in a time machine and see what it was like in the Cabaret Voltaire with 19, in the 19, you know, in the teens and 20s when right. that thing was happening and live somebody else's past. 
or when I go to New York, all I want to do is imagine what David Byrne was thinking right. about 1975, you know, when he's writing all those songs that would be on those later records. So it's like, it's almost a disease. Like, I am, right now I'm on your podcast. I could be promoting something and talking about how cool something that I'm doing is, but yet I'm thinking about some jerks. <laughs> we'll get how, to that part. We'll yeah. help well, you with that part. It's never as exciting as that, though. That's the thing. Is for me, but I, that's okay. Well, I mean, there's there's yeah. some like there, look there's there's it's okay to to look back on things with a fondness or like with a with a love that you know because it influenced you or it or it kind of helped you build who you are now or whatever. But at the same time, there there is there is it is kind of like a disease if you can't be um, in the now. You know what I mean? In the in everything that's happening now because. You know, you're right. You've you've gone on to do some pretty impressive things. I mean, first of all, you started a band that, you know, at a time when I'm guessing there were a million bands starting every couple minutes. Like Los Angeles yeah. seems to me to be a place where, like, you know, comedy and music comes to either thrive or die. You know, correct. And it's and yeah. it can be brutal. True. So I I feel like yeah, there is there is. I mean, I I, I hope you get to work on that a little bit just like in appreciating what what's happening now and how great and cool and influential to future people and acts and bands and whatever that what you're doing might be at the time you know well i think yeah i think after finishing this like after working wrapping up a, the, a book like a memoir kind of thing the whole purpose of that was to go i need to move i need to get on my own life and now i've i just hit 50 so hopefully I've got another 30 yeah. spins around the, you know. Another 50. Planet. Yeah, or yeah. whatever. Yeah. 30 would be fine. Uh, 20, good, whatever. Yeah. So to live those with, without looking back. Because when you when you work on a, a book like, for me, a 12, 13-year pro art project, I've never had one like that. You know, you work on a stand-up thing. It takes you a few months. You get it up and running. You work on a magic routine. You're in a movie. It's a year. You work on a TV show. It's... A d you do it for a day, but it yeah. lives on forever. So you work on a memoir. This is 12 years of my life, and I just go, I want to have this little thing. It's going to sit on a bookshelf somewhere, and I can look back on that, but I, it's done. And hopefully it is about kind of moving forward now. Yeah, and yeah. And, and again, I, I'm not definitely not suggesting you forget all that stuff because, again, I it am, helped influence you. I am. You Forget it. Let it go. <laughs> it helps you become Move who on. you are, but like... Yeah. But yeah, living living in the it, like appreciating the the present moment is is a huge thing, and and uh, I believe can be extremely helpful in in making someone feel uh, satisfied or like kind of whole. But can I ask you a question? Sense. Do you think though, as 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 much as you want to make those changes, do you also think that that mindset was also what created everything? For part of what made you who you were and what allowed you to do what you did. Yeah, because it was always nostalgic for stuff that I couldn't get my hands, couldn't quite touch. So I would like ponder on or obsess on or re read as much as I could about it or write about it or whatever. Um, but John's right. I mean, there's something great about just like being present and and doing what's the next thing and, and always kind of pushing forward with you know your next thing. But for me, obviously with the memoir, it's all about looking back. Yeah, right? yeah. And you, you know, write memoirs about your future. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, he could. It would be, could be you could. lies yeah. or you could. made up stories. Yeah. But yeah. Um, but anyway, it's. Uh, I'm just glad to kind of 
at least talk about the mind frame. It's for me. It's part of that. It's, it's cathartic, and yeah. I feel like I can just kind of. What What's the book? What's it going to be called? Strange Cures. Strange Cures. I like that. Is there is there something behind that the title of it yes. specifically mm-hmm. that you can share or you don't want to share? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. Okay. Yeah. So, um, well, uh, I'm 11. It's crazy. There's a I had a weird childhood. Some troubled stuff. Uh, I got shot when I was 11 by my uncle. It was an FBI impersonator. And uh, we're not a, just going to gloss over that. So here we are. We what? have not. <laughs> It's a lot. It's just a lot to kind of get through. But I, I meaning that your family did not. And he was claiming to be in the FBI. Your family did not know that he was not. Is oh, that what you mean? W- they knew he wasn't. Oh. But they were naive and just let him sort of like role play live with us. Yeah, and live in a fantasy. He was a terrible person, an alcoholic, and had um, had shot me in the arm uh, with a bullet and it was lodged. I had a bullet lodged in my arm for thirty years. Intentionally shot or accidentally? Like, hey, uh, guns. Well, that's that's I mean, in how question. How much time do you have? I mean, yeah, he was he was. Um, I think it was intention. He used to shoot at my feet, make me dodge the bullet. So there was that. There was a little game called the fucky game. We'd, you'd, wow. You know, I was fuck around with people and would do weird shit. And for me, it was the, one of the things he'd do: would shoot at my feet, and I'd kind of have to move around his his drunken bullets. And one time he got me. Wow. So so I had that. That had just happened. And when when he passed, I w- you know was certain in my mind that. I was never going to be like him. So I felt like that was something that was like, there was something in my mind that was, I thought that the cure was never to j- take drugs or alcohol. Well, I ended up becoming a drug addict for about seven years and pretty deep into that, you know, that world. And then the other thing was I had, um, as a kid, I had 52 warts on my hands. Um, I had I had a really bad case of warts. Younger than 11. Yeah. I'm so assuming is, before you is, started playing an instrument, yeah, I'm guessing. Yeah, before. Yeah, because I would never have picked up an instrument right. if I didn't have these warts. So I was, as, a, as a young kid, while I'm, you know, f- like f- getting picked last for sports and sucking donkey cock at everything. Everything, yeah. Yeah, because I'm, I was paralyzed because I, I had all these warts and I'd stick my hands in my pockets uh. all the time and they would spread. I'd get them burned off. They'd come back. It was, it was constant trips to the doctor. Meanwhile, I the reason I had the warts, I didn't, hadn't eaten a really a, a, an apple or a banana or an orange or uh, any fruits or vegetables. I just despised them, and I, my parents weren't big on pushing them for okay. me to eat them. So you got I had scurvy. A, basically, I had a I had a major vitamin C deficiency that could be known. How as did scurvy. you know? I, I, I'm not a very well a cultured man, but how did you? Where did you? Where did you come up with scurvy? Scurvy. Scurvy was like scurvy and rickets are two things my friend's mom used to yell about. Like, eat your vegetables, or you're gonna get scurvy. Oh, yeah. I've never heard that. Yeah, yeah it's like sea 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 <laughs> people yeah. would get if you were on a boat for too long and you do, yeah. all you ate was like a certain thing. Exactly. You'd get scurvy. So I get to so get a vitamin. So you, for my case, these it was warts. Oh wow. So I get them burned off, and I got scars all over my hands from getting these things burned off. Five six times go to a uh, family trip in 1980 we went to uh scotland where my, mo- my mother was from oh cool and uh i'm there visiting with her family We're there for two weeks and the first day i'm there visiting with my aunt and she looks at my hand she goes oh those are you have a terrible case of warts there that you know you get rid of those uh no i don't i'd love to know <laughs> yeah, i would love to know she says all you need to do is you go down to the river dune you just walk down this windy road you go over a bridge and you go into the cow pastures right there at the river. You'll see the river flowing, and there's, you'll see eight, ten cows. You wait for one of them to take a shit, and then you dip your hands in the cow shit every day for two weeks, and those warts 
will vanish. I promise you. And I was it sounds like, like an elaborate hidden camera prank. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm <laughs> listening. I'm <laughs> listening. So did you do it? I'm like, and how do I get to the River Dune? Yeah, I'm, I'm young, but I'm like, uh-huh. But I'm if this go- is going to help me... Anything's better than... And was this at yeah. least a two-week trip in order to... to, to Okay, oh, yeah. all right, so I'm, we're going. I'm, I'm on the journey up. with so you. Here go we go. Down to the River Dune. Okay. I stand around. A cow just takes, takes a, a massive shit. I've never even seen a cow. I'm from Burbank. There's no, you don't, <laughs> yeah. cow, what? That's like, right. There's a cow in person, like, first time. <laughs> yeah. It's a Whoa. man in a cow. That cow dump yeah. has got to be a sight to behold. Like, yeah. look at that fucking yeah. floppy, just wet. You so probably saw the. Uh, He's just like, it just shot out. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, all right, I'm by myself. I'm like, all right, this, I'm doing Looking it. around like anyone else seeing yeah. this? No, good. So I dip my hands in the cow shit, and I take them out, and I've got these, like, cement shit mitts on my Shit mitts, that's good. I walk back to the house. I do what she says, let it, let it sit for 20 minutes, wash it off, do it every day for two weeks. This is, I did it. I actually did it. And when I got back to L.A., um, the wart started retracting in my hands. This is a totally true story, and I have proof, which I'll tell you about. Um, and the warts vanished. So my mom writes a letter to my aunt. Oh my God, Robbie's wa- and it was Robbie. That was my name. That's yeah, Rob to Robbie. Robbie's warts are gone. Oh, we can't believe it. Thank you so much. So this is such big news in the city of Patna, which is a very small little city, um, not far from Glasgow in Scotland. How um, poop cures boys' hands. And guess what the name of the article is? Shit Robbie hands. Robbie's Strange Cure. That's the name of Wow. That was the name of the article. And it says, you know, young American holiday maker Robbie Zabrecki just came over to visit with his family for a fortnight, which is two weeks. And not the game. Yeah. <laughs> and and they and the aunt said to dip the hands in the cow shit. He did it, and lo and behold, the warts are gone. This I have it, I still have the article. And so when it came time and so anyway, the point is I started seventh grade, Rodney on the Rock. I'm starting to listen to Rodney. Punk rock happens to me. Like, my world changed big time. Like, I went from being the weirdest kid in school with, like, this. Yeah, to, like, with closed fists like, in your hey, pockets. And I started, like, developing into, like, a handsome little kid. Like, it was a, everything changed. Everything can't change because of cow shit. Now, well, so the ba- the warts disappearing. It's a confidence builder. You become out. You get out of your shell. You start being able to talk to other kids. You're like not afraid to raise your hand, shake everything. someone's hand, high five somebody. Like you just that just opens up your world in Completely. a sense. Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Hundred percent. And how did she know? Did yeah. She do that. Did she? Is that because that sounds like something? <laughs> somebody. She's a witch. <laughs> it sounds like something somebody would tell you and then be like. I don't know about that. You'd go try it. And if it worked, you'd be like, oh, shit. Okay, I'll keep that to myself. I don't know, because like, the way you sold the story is she was very clear in her mind. Oh, like, yeah. She was very definitive. Like, you didn't like, doubt her at all. You weren't like, like, was put here on this earth to tell me that. Are, are you an only child, by the way? No. Okay. I have two siblings. Older. Two, uh, older? Yeah. A lot older or uh, relatively? Five, four, four and five years old. Okay, did so they, they were around the house. Did, you, did yeah. they find out you dipped your hands in shit? Oh, yeah. They, they went down a couple times. To, like, to make fun of you? Oh, he's going to go down. You're going to do it? Holy shit. Wow. Of course they did. Yeah. Yeah. And people were laughing. I mean, there was times where, like the, st- uh, it would get the wind. Yeah, get in your face. <laughs> everyone's watching. There's the little holiday makers, the breathy. You know? So it was just weird. I knew it was weird, and I knew it was like fucked up. But it was last ditch effort. I had a last ditch effort. Also, you're in Scotland, dude. Nobody in Burbank that you go to school with is going to ride their bike past no, 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 you no, no, in no. a fucking field in Scotland. I want to know where were the doctors in Burbank at this time that uh, that your aunt in yeah. Uh, in, did you go in there and go, hey guys, cow poo? Uh, it turns out it. no. I didn't. No way. Those jerks yeah. were just burning off the warts. And they were coming back. But little did they know. 
they were they were just taking care of the immediate problem. They didn't know that I had never eaten an apple or an orange. They didn't ask any or questions. Or a banana. Or, yeah, they didn't know why. They're just like, oh, this guy, this kid is fucked up. Let's just burn the warts off. Burn these off. off. And then, oh, here's compound W. Pour this goop on. Yeah. You know, and let it eat, rot your skin away. It was just horrible and painful Ugh. and gross. Amazing. Did you eventually start eating Yeah, so then seventh vegetables? grade, yeah. I tried orange juice first time. Gave me diarrhea, but then all of a sudden, <laughs> boom. So like everything started, and I did. I when I when I turned eighteen, I had an I had an apple, and when I turned fifty, I had my first banana. Six and on June second, I had my very first banana ever. Why? why when I asked if you started eating fruits and vegetables, I thought like back then you were like, yes, it became part of my diet. You're like, no. When then when I was eighteen, I had an apple, like, and then when I was fifty, I so had you a just, banana. So you really had an aversion to fruit, mm-hmm. a huge one. Yes, sir. Wow. wow. Interesting. Weird. Well, I guess you know Shit whatever. I mean, everybody's. Everybody's Still wired a little, differently. A little dodgy around the bananas. Like I just well, bananas. Why did are, you do uh, it? Bananas are gross to me. Because I had a friend, one of my best friends, when I was forty. He's like, "Hey, uh, Zabrecki, when you turn fifty, you should eat a banana." Okay. So then every year he's like, "Hey, nine more years." And it came <laughs> this joke. I'm like, "Ha ha ha!" And then it, on your fiftieth birthday, this guy's like shows up with a banana, and you're like, "Ah, oh, it's not funny anymore." Yeah, <laughs> so it's reality. I, yeah, it's reality. And I liked it. It was like I'm like I didn't know what I was. The big deal was about. Yeah. That's crazy, though, Isn't dude. Crazy. It's a crazy story. That's the whole the whole thing is crazy. Just that whole thing. Well, first of all, that's a great title for the book. Yeah. Uh, because so, okay, so so I yes. assume that story is in the book. Of course. Yeah. 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 I mean, You're, nope, yeah. left it out. <laughs> no, that's. Uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff I with broad strokes is kind of like what's what's in, in there. Yeah. What's in there, and then. So then it was called Robbie's Strange Cure for a long time, and then a buddy of mine is way smarter than me. He's like, "Hey, you know, you just call your book Strange Cures." It's it's got it's a little more, it's a little, but also it ties in a little bit more of the mysteriousness of and the magic and all that. It kind of it, there's the whole thing, yeah, yeah. Because there's other cure, like there, I overcame over things, and every yeah. time I overcome the warts were the beginning. Yeah, it was an unorthodox. It wasn't your my way of getting through life has been different than most. I under, I know that. Like it's I've taken weird turns and twists, and each time I make a discovery, it's like. People don't do it that way. I and like it's not not that I'm some trailblazer because I certainly don't. I, yeah, sometimes it's just you just went the wrong way and you're like, yeah, oh, this is how I had I went to do the it. Wrong way, and then I just ended up with this weird solution for my own problem. And I don't recommend anyone taking the path. Right, 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 right. <laughs> if we're, you can we're, avoid you're not it. pretending you're, to be a doctor with all the answers. Yeah, like when you uh, recovered from, well, you said you were addicted to drugs for uh, seven years. Mm-hmm. Was that can I? I don't know why I would assume this, but I would assume music. L.A., I would assume it was heroin. Yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. When you overcame that, was that un- in untraditional ways? Was that on your own? Was that, that was untraditional, too. Yes, I would say, I mean, for the first 30 times, it was, I tried. On your I own. never went to a rehab center where my friends were doing that left and right and dying, and things were happening on a pretty regular basis that was pretty gnarly and nasty. Yeah. And then... Um, I contracted something called cotton fever the last time, um, which um, makes you very sick. It's a it's it's a when you inject uh, cotton fiber. Oh, it oh, gets in there. It gets along in, the it it sends you into a wild um, fever and oh. it makes you crazy sick, almost hallucinogenic sick. Oh. Where you're out for three days, and when you wake up, you have kind of overcome what is the. Um, 
first wave of withdrawal. At ah, because least, at least you slept through it. Yes, so I slept through it. Now, the mental part is a whole other thing, and you have to, I'm 23 years sober now uh, in recovery, so it's like, so very. I did take a very traditional route where I went to recovery meetings and totally shut the door with all the people I knew that were on the drug side of it and associated myself with people that were not taking drugs. And yeah. So that, that was very traditional. But, I mean, in my own way, it was like I found my own methods of trying to clean up and none of them were successful at all you know now did, was was the drugs the reason for the end of the band or did the band run its course i mean 10 yeah we ran its course but there was a big you know the guy that i started the band with had kind of didn't he was went to jail a couple times and it, he's no longer living he's he's gone now he passed away uh, yeah he's gone and so uh I would say that was a big line in the. Uh, he know. wasn't getting clean, and yeah, you and I did, and so I was a traitor people. to the to this world that I had basically we would found together in our early twenties. It was exciting, we're running around the underground, and you know, yeah. it's like we had really dialed. We thought we were doing the coolest stuff in the world, and it turned out, you know, by the time you get in your thirties, it's not attractive or cool anymore. Yeah, as you know, um, I'm sure from you know. Being human, and yeah. Being <laughs> human, knowing people, having my own problems. Like, even uh, I was, I worked on a movie with Michael Madsen, who was talking about uh, all the crazy shit they did on Reservoir Dogs. Like, they were smoking crack when they made that movie. They were like really? drinking, oh my they God. were drinking bourbon or whatever. And then uh, he goes, "Yeah, you know, you do that shit in your twenties, man. It's uh, hilarious. You're doing it in your forties, man. That's uh, that's a pretty big problem. Yeah. It's not, it's not hilarious anymore." And I was like, "You know what? Yeah, man, it's." Because the shit that you can talk about that you did, all your crazy shit you did when you were younger, people are like, oh, man, you were you must have been a nut. But now if I was like, oh, just yesterday, I, I'd be like, oh, dude, no, you need help. What is that? Like, I know. The career user, it ain't attractive. And as you get older in life, it's not pretty. And yeah. It's, it's ugly and gross. And sadly, you know, it, it people, some people do live longer lives as the career user. And they, it, you know, so we get to see. The effects yeah, that the effects has, I it, mean, you know? it's and never then, good. And then others die, so yeah. then you've got like, it's they're both pretty. Yeah, the, the ends, the end is never is never good if you keep doing it. Correct. Yeah, you could live a long time, sure, but your quality of life is shit. Yeah, and most likely you won't live a long time. The uh, um, to to turn this upside down into something else during so obviously the band ended, but during that time, um. Some of your fondest memories, like the stuff where you were like, yes. Like the moments where you were like, okay, we were talking about earlier, like, you know, you're making your own 45s and you say, this is what, you know, I aspire to be these things that I went and saw. So were there moments that you fondly look back on and go, yeah, that was, man, we got, I remember that one night or this one place or this one show where you go, even in the moment you were like, wow, I'm really, this is it. Okay. Totally. Thank you. I did this. Totally. I mean, like, I think going to New York, you know, a couple of years into our, our career and like going, there was a hipster bar called Max Fish in Lower East Side. It was the, the coolest bar that I I had ever been in. And I remember walking in there once and hearing our record on the jukebox and like, oh, oh yeah, part of the cult. In yeah. This is good. Here this we is, are. It's a good sign. And then <clears throat> performing <clears throat> at a place called the Limelight, which is an old church that was like a disco in the early 80s like Madonna and Basquiat and all those guys would hang out there pretty cool little little world and then we played the show there and it was just packed and there's people in the rafters and everybody's 
craning their necks to watch this weird, you know, we were kind of classified as like a new wave band, which, which is a very an anomaly thing. Yeah. In that time, yeah. people weren't saying, like it wasn't, it was like in the, in the early days of grunge, it was people like post-punk and new wave hadn't, that stride hadn't hit yet. Bands like the Killers or a million bands hadn't come up yet. Right. Because it hadn't, it wasn't in vogue. It was very much like, these guys are doing weird, like seventies inspired new wave punk stuff, which was not what was in vogue, but it was interesting. Yeah, and a so, little hard to label though. Yeah, it was I hard mean, that's to label. What, like so, new wave is like such a broad term. Yes, it's like okay. for sure, and especially, yeah. but especially in the late eighties, early nineties, where it was like yeah. that. No one was doing that. I can reassure you, we were on our own little planet. So yeah. when we were when we did have those moments where it was like, oh, people are coming out and digging this or appearing on one hundred twenty minutes. You know, we did we did that with um, Matt Pinfield. Uh, or who was the first no, guy? No, it was uh, what was his name Lewis Sargent. Oh, okay. What was his name Lewis Sargent. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then we appeared on Conan O'Brien. Uh, <sighs> Sweet. Was first year when he was on. Awesome. Uh, yeah. So like doing these, like, oh, we're gonna be on a TV show tonight. Okay. Like those, those. I don't, I don't. Um, I, I, I'm very grateful to have those memories yeah. for sure, and I'm glad I did them because, yeah, I wanted to be successful as a little kid. I wanted to be, you know, a I wanted to be in rock. I wanted to be recognized. Um, and so, yeah, I'd say I've got enough of those memories to feel satisfied. On the other hand, we had many nightmare moments where we were playing empty rooms. Yeah. And it was, like, disheartening. And I didn't want to be in the band anymore. And it was coming to a, a grind, a grinding halt. This is towards the back end of it. Yeah, towards the okay. back end. Yep. Because so that stuff happens on the on the front end too. You when you first yeah, go on oh, tour, and you have that's a sure. that's a huge mindset. Yeah, if we're gonna had, stay in. Yeah, but for us, it, we playing empty rooms early on. We're like, this is fine. We just we're just happy to be here. Okay, okay. we're not. I'm not stamping mail in a warehouse. Yeah, uh, I'm not digging ditches or working at Sizzler or whatever I was doing before. Yeah, like it was all fine and good. I was happy to do it. So, but towards the end, it it did hurt and it okay. did sting. You know, so it 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 really had ups. We, I'd say we had some serious highs and serious lows. You, um, TV, do, doing, uh, performing live on television, that's different, right? Is it, it is, does it have a different feel to it compared um, to just doing any live event? Yes. It, I mean, it, it definitely was weird. It, it was different in that, um, yeah, it's very specific, and you get one shot at doing it live. There's a live audience, and you know they're going to clap. And we had been drinking a lot. Like, it was definitely like we had probably... You mean before the sh before you yeah. recorded? Yeah, okay. Yeah, so I would say it's pretty. There was like an intoxication for most of that stuff. So I can't say I, you know, have any like great or or you know good or bad memories that they're yeah. just like eh. <laughs> it just seems like I always wondered. I mean, it's one thing for like a, a stand-up to do a, a, a show like that because it is different for stand-ups. But I always wondered, like, you know, if, if because it's a band, it's just like the only structure would be like when we point to you, you go, and when you're done, you you stop because we yeah. we we're on a very, you know, to where you're doing an actual live event. It's like we're gonna start when we start, we're gonna finish when we finish, like Precisely. you know, because we're yeah. a band and we're just gonna mm -hmm. roll with the moment kind of That's thing. Exactly where there, right. they're like, and here you go, and it's like one, two, three. It's like. There's a little bit of rigidness to it that I wondered if it kind of got in the way of the of the of the. That's uh, definitely true, and just like being on any TV show or even doing stand-up, where you're sitting in a green room for three hours before you do your yeah, five hurry minutes. Hurry up and wait. Yeah, it's you got to hurry up and wait, and when you're with your three best friends, you hurry up and wait with a bottle of vodka and maybe other stuff. 
So <laughs> definitely other stuff. <laughs> so yeah, Which, yeah, we covered that. So you're not you're not hiding anything at that point. <laughs> no, it was just like you know, it was we were, we were you know we were getting loaded and drinking and doing all that stuff that that a lot of bands do. So yeah, exactly. That, that, it that, seemed commonplace at the time, I'm sure. For sure. Yeah. I mean, so here's the interesting thing I, uh, w- with you going back to something you had said earlier that, um, you know, that you were a little bit of a tug of war with Interscope about you being in the forefront of the band. And it's interesting that as the band goes down, that you move into um, a, a more focal point on yourself as, as a lone person. And I'm curious as how you got from that. Like you talked about, okay, the band, you kind of could see the beginning of the, of the end of the band. Mm-hmm. So where were you at that point in your life? And how did the, how did the rest, how did, how, did, how did the transformation happen? Well, it's, it was a total epiphany, revelation, like um, a very weird thing happened. Uh, the band was just not, we weren't doing well. I didn't like being around those guys. They didn't like being around me. I'd just gotten sober. I was an irritable wreck. So I was no fun guy to be around right um and then one other guy's drug addict the other guy's just like fed up with it, both of us so no one's all the we would all kind of gone our separate ways and then i'm in baltimore in the summer mid 90s and uh we load our gear into a club for a sound check and i'm walking around downtown baltimore looking for some locations where john waters might have filmed some of his early movies and it's hot it's a hot afternoon and there's a bunch of shops and I'm, there's a magic shop and I walked in there just to cool off because I saw an air conditioner outside. That's the single reason I went in this place. <laughs> Hilarious. Like, strange cures, right? I know. Yeah. We just, we're like, shoe shop, bakery, post office. What's that? Air man? conditioner. Who cares <laughs> what that place yeah, is? Cares? I'm going inside. Exactly, Baltimore's disgusting John. in the summer. Precisely. <laughs> so I'm, wa- I'm loitering inside for 10 minutes. I'm, like, looking at this stuff. I have no interest in magic. Like, zero. Like, I'm like you've never seen, you're not Doug Henning, David Copperfield. There's nothing that. Makes you think, oh, I kind of see, uh, this is you no know Harry Blackstone you know when you were a cool? kid. Cheap Trick, Lou Reed. I yeah. have like 10 things and yeah. everything else. John Waters, everything else. No, not, not, not interested. Grunge, get out of No. Yeah. I live in this super myopic, weird, n- narrowly focused. You like what you like, yeah. and that's what you like. Yes. Yeah. That's it. So, very narrow minded. And so I buy a trick just to pack, because I felt guilty for loitering. <laughs> Wow. And uh, the man put a little handkerchief in his fist, and it vanished. And I couldn't believe it was for sale. It was, it was astonishing. I fumbled through how he performed such an effect. I paid him for it. I shoved it in my pocket. That night, we're playing our set about three songs into our set list. Our guitar player broke a string. I remember I had this object in my pocket to vanish something. And this is where my wits kicked in, which I don't particularly find myself a witty person, but I remember just saying to the crowd, does, does anybody have a wrapped condom out there? Because I knew that I could banish this thing. Somebody Everyone's just throwing condoms. Well, not like everybody. Yeah, One yeah. person did. <laughs> Thank God it wasn't everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I like how you asked for a wrapped. You're not just like, does anyone have a condom? have a condom? And they're just like, here's a condom, like yeah. a wrapped. This, this one's filled with AIDS semen here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh. It wasn't like that. But I, I knew that I could. So I performed this feat. It was like I did this little thing, and it was a, a funny aside. And it was a two-minute little thing. And then a guitar player strung, put his guitar string on, and everybody applauded, and they laughed. And I just remember looking around being like, I just did a thing. I entertained these people and had nothing to do with being in a rock band or being on a record label or dealing with this dickhead over here. And right. He hates me. And all that stuff was gone. I was the entertainer. It was me. Boom. Next night we're in New York City. I'm like, guys, whatever you do, third song, I'm going to do the thing again. I'm going to have somebody throw up a condom and see if I can manage this thing, which I did. 
and then uh, we we make we make the three thousand mile drive back from New York City to oh, L.A. God damn! And every time we stop, no matter probably in Milwaukee, who knows where we were stopping? No, we were, that would have been too north. But every time we stop in, I get the Yellow Pages, Magic Shop, boom, boom. I'll call them up. Hey, can I come see you? And I hit every magic shop on the way back. I just became a little obsessed, a little kooky. Wow, it became something you liked, and therefore you were like, and now that's in my world. I'm like, what else can I what else can I do on stage for these people between songs? Yeah. So meanwhile, I come back to LA and my girlfriend, who's now my wife, has a pa- she manages the Viper Room on Sunset Strip. Oh no shit. That at was the her, time. At the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Early nineties, from day one. So she was there from like all that, you know, all the craziness of the early Viper Room days. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's pretty pretty interesting. Her her story is pretty fascinating too. But we'll have her on next. <laughs> have her on next. Yeah, she wouldn't. She would not come on. <laughs> she does not. She's not look at me. Yeah, she's like could care. She could give a shit, which is part of the reason I love her. I was gonna say. Yeah. Um, and she's like, hey, I got a pass to go to this place, the Magic Castle, for a wine tasting event. Do you want to go? Uh, yes, I do. You're like, yeah, yeah. All so you, this is a girl you were already seeing when you were on your way back with this stuff, and you're like, did you say, hey? Oh, I'm sure I'm, I'm I did. into it, and she's like, "Well, I got these passes." If you were- she, no, she just, I, she just like, "Hey, do you want to go to this place, Magic Castle?" I'm like, I've been goofing around with these. I like castles. Yeah, and now I like magic. Boom! <laughs> All I need is a suit because I, God knows, at that point, yeah. I was not looking. You know, it was <laughs> not my. I was a little, a little more threadbare. Let's just sure. say. So I cobbled together some version of a suit. We go up to the Magic Castle, and I kid you not, I walk in there, and I was just. Uh, astonished by this subculture that has existed for so long, and I'm in a private club, and there's this there's a history with it, and uh, immediately I'm drawing these patterns, like being obsessive kid with music and all that stuff, and like oh like who's Chungling Su, who's Blackstone, who's Carter, who's Thurston, oh yeah, Houdini, I kind of know who he is. So I was like, I just started that. You start started. to get into the history. Yeah, I just got sober. So I mean that's in. helping you know your brain needs to focus on other shit your hands need to focus on other shit when you're getting sober you're not kidding so that yeah. was it dove in hundred percent and that was twenty years well twenty two years ago okay so, when you say you dive in though like a lot of it's just you just hanging out at home working on tricks right and then how do you how did you trans I, I don't know what you're gonna ask John but like you know um, how did you translate it into actual by yourself stage performance and how did because I, I know how stand-up works, but I've never really understood like how a guy starts just doing magic. Can you just people. go to an open mic and do magic? I mean, well, here's the deal. Um, in my, I had a very unique situation because I was dialed into the music world. Uh, I started immediately in my mind writing, producing, directing, and acting without knowing what I was doing. But I started putting together what was the seeds of an act. Yeah. And I roped my girlfriend, who was not a performer at all, into a little act called Griffith and Clementine, where we put on pancake makeup like silent film stars, used cool music by Nina Rota, sound guy did all the Fellini music. We used his music, and we did like a silent film star magic act. Wow. Which was terrible. (laughs) Where were you doing this? Well, that's here's the catch. We were doing it at really good venues because people knew me in music. Uh, okay. So I'd get like I'd have a friend say, "Hey, um, you know, X and Concrete Bond are going to do a show at the Whiskey A Go Go. Do you want to open, open up, up with yeah, your magic? Yeah, there's a big benefit. <laughs> we're we're looking for a variety act. Do you want you and your wife want to do the thing? Yeah, sure. That sounds amazing. So we're thrust our our first one of our if it wasn't our first our first performance is in front of 300. 500 people at the rock. Oh, so that's like, there's no, there's <laughs> so no mic. like open micing this <laughs> thing. They're like, by the way, I hope you have it down because we got a sold out. How did that house. one go? 
ter- if major fail. But you can imagine. Wait, well, I well walk me through it a little bit. Is now what was the failure? Did the tricks not work? Did the was the whole your wife just not that into it? Was there because did it look? If I was in the audience, would I go? Okay, this is comical. These guys, I get what they're doing. They're making some magic references and doing some things. And okay, you would you probably would have hated it, and you would have went like, "What am I watching? Is this supposed to be entertaining?" Because like, oh, it didn't have the stagecraft. You can imagine right. doing stand up the first time. Like, oh, I was, anyone, a, I was right? a genius at it. Yeah, <laughs> of course. So we're we have this in our minds. We rehearsed a million times in our Silver Lake bungalow. You know, it's like a boy meets girl. I put her in a trance. Because we're, we're looking at pictures of old magic books. Yes! We're studying silent film stuff. So we think we've got this genius performance that's eight minutes long, and it's a disaster. Probably four minutes too long. Uh, <laughs> about six minutes too long. Yeah, John. It was it was sucked so bad that, like, we knew. People were looking at us like, what are we seeing? Like, is this supposed to be a parody of Magic Act? Or is this Magic <laughs> Act? Magic Act. It's, I'm should on, I be laughing? Should we be yeah, throwing batteries? Yeah. What should we be doing It's here? like that. <laughs> and there's amps on the stage, and we're like moving, navigating around all this stuff. <laughs> it's a disaster. And after we finish, I hear people talking shit, you know, in the dressing room over from us. Like, did you see that thing Zabrekis did? That was terrible. <laughs> oh, and God. I'm thinking like, oh, my God, yes, the, he's right. And I knew that, like, if I wanted to really reinvent myself, it was going to be a lot of hard work. Yeah, it wasn't going to be easy. Yeah. So what do you do? You find magicians to help you work, mentor work you. with you. Mentor me. So I found some really creative guys that were working at the Magic Castle. And I started just sowing together the seeds of an act w- with a burning desire to do that. Are you allowed, were, were you hanging out at the Magic Castle? Are you allowed to do that? Well, I was because I was, I was quickly befriending. Like I, on that night, I'm like, I have to come back here. Like, what's it going to take? And w- we met a performer who gave us a pass. And then we started kind of going out for dinner and, it's quickly just like watching every act and quickly realizing that guy's really good. That guy's not really good. Why do I like this guy? What What's attractive what's about What's drawing me over here to, yeah. as compared to over here? And I started mentally like realizing it's very much like bands or like any other art form where you go, okay, well, this is original. What? It's consistent. It's specific. It's vulnerable. And this one is not authentic. It is. It feels hacky. But that's like, but, it, but, Still, uh, if you're at the Magic Castle doing magic, I have to think that you, even if you thought whatever, like say somebody was hacky, uh, subjectively, other people are gonna, or objectively, other people are gonna like maybe like that. You know what I mean? And it's and it's well done and it's oh, well 100%. thought out. Yeah, I, mean, I, I like again my tastes are. Yeah, like but this. that's but again, so you're the, going the for the hacky stuff is the stuff that people are going crazy for. And and you're the, over here going, this is obscure guy, and weird that guy and is cool. freaky. And yeah, and it, that's been my whole life basically but that's i mean i think that whole thing is what brought you to magic to begin with really you know what i mean you walk in and you're like oh okay well that was interesting and then you did it once you did you're like oh i bet i could do more of this and it's i mean there's not a i gotta think there's not a lot of people in the entertainment industry who are like magic i'm gonna get into magic you know what i mean john how about this in the 90s in the 90s when when it was you're, so you're talking pre- dorks personified would be it like was, I like was, magic. It was magic has always been a neglected art form. Let's just yes. say that. Yeah. This is pre Mo- easily David mocked. Blaine. So the people, so the even the cool, whatever I hate that word, cool. But the, yeah, even what people think is like, oh, now this guy's cool. We're still in Siegfried and Roy territory. Purple jumpsuits, mullets. David that, Copperfield with that sweet yeah, hair. That's that's the flavor. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife and I are going well. We're not, obviously we're not going to do that. But yeah. We love uh, 
Buster Keaton and Charlie Chaplin and Harold Lloyd and and that world. So let's we're going to take that will be our thing, and we'll use the music of the soundtracks of these movies that we liked, and that's going to be our thing. And this is going to be our contribution to this. This will be our cute little variety show, and maybe it'll last for a year. And, you know. Anyway, that led to major obsession, and then um, she, my wife, is not a performer. She dropped out after thirty shows. She dropped out. She's like, and no, I don't want to do of, this. Yeah, help writing, producing, directing. Well, you know what? Good for her for putting up for it. For th- if that was not her shows, thing for yeah, thirty man. shows, oh for someone God. that is not comfortable doing it. Oh yeah. So I hope you always say, "Hey, thanks a lot." For <laughs> I hope you just always I remind do. her and that now, you are appreciative. I am. I'm, I'm very grateful. <laughs> the answer, <laughs> Brian, is I'm, yeah. I, no, it's true. She, and I am, but she is. Since step behind the scenes, and every funny joke that I have now as a magician, where because now I speak and it is more of a stand-up charactery kind of thing. Okay, she writes and produces and directs it, and she so she found her voice within. Yes, that within and it's what behind the doing, curtain. Yeah. And so <laughs> I always say to people, whenever anybody laughs any of my jokes, it's usually because she wrote it or she said, "Oh, try it this way." Yeah. Or wouldn't it be funny if you blank? It's uh, that's how, yeah. So we've we've had a really beautiful long. And this started how long ago? 23 years ago. 23 years ago, you started Magic. So, okay, so now you're hanging out at the at the Comedy Magic Club. No, Magic Castle. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. Sorry. You're hanging <laughs> out at the Magic well, Castle. Do you, do you, I was going to say, did you do comedy, ever do comedy at the I, Comedy Magic? Two weeks ago. Oh, oh really? Yeah. How long did it take awesome. you to get in? Because I'm assuming, and maybe I'm wrong, but I look at, to me, the Magic Castle is like the improv or the comedy store it, or the, the Laugh it's Factory. The that's the ground like, of that's, magic. It's like... It's about getting in there. So was that, again, going back to how you're like, well, I like what they're doing and this is where I'm supposed to be, so this is my goal. Is Was that the goal and and how did you... What did you have to do to get there? Good question. Well, it was, I'll tell you what. After going to the Magic Castle a dozen times, it became my crusade in life to be one of those performers. Very unpopular time to do the kind of magic I was doing with as Tommy dropped out I decided to take the very commercial way of thinking well I'm I with my gaunt visage I'll be a funeral director and that will be my magic act and I will have Zabrecki and Sons funeral company I'll do some mind reading tricks as the funeral uh you know uh, coordinator and now this is at nine so nine eleven has just happened and so that's how I got my first rejection letter from Magic Castle saying, with all the death and destruction in this world, we're good. We don't need your act here. So you talked about your, your rejection letter earlier. I got, I got those two from the Magic Castle. Yeah. And I'm like, I can't let this stop me from... So these, And it's a very old mentality. This is, guys, the, the first wave of board directors up there where the, the club became uh, started in 1963, and we still had some of those... Members in that very yeah. Kind if of you're way. not Houdini, you're not a magician. Very conservative. Yeah. yeah. Just think of like Trump administration, Magic Castle. Like it was very. Yeah. Like, this they is weren't looking for new, creative, interesting. St- stay in the lane. This lane yeah, right here. They were afraid yeah. their old way was disappearing, Correct. and it scared them. And it was. And and here I am on the sidelines performing in the basement and starting to work up a character. And all I wanted to have was this ephemeral little act where I could do it for a few people and like find my little way in magic and find my corner in the sandbox. And luckily, pretty early on, I met um, another musician turned magician, and there's not a lot of them, just so you know, but this one was um, my friend David Lovering. He's a drummer for the rock band The Pixies. Huh. And Pixies are broken up, and he fell in love with magic like I did. And so he started perform- we started performing side-by-side side in the basement, in a side room. When you say the basement, you're talking about the basement of the Magic, magic Castle. Castle. Yeah, which is, a, which is a performing room, like, let's just say, like, where, where we're at in your house now. It's, it's, it's a remote 
area where it's not a featured <laughs> showroom, but if you want to come down in here, you yeah. can see. You could be banished do. to the basement if you. <laughs> yeah. But I got to be honest with you, because I, I like going there. Yeah. I'm, I'm entertained from the top all the way oh, down, yeah, depending. Man. Oh, I, yeah. I was, but so that's where. Yeah, that's where guys that are trying to make it happen. Correct. That's where they go. And we're cutting our Bottom teeth down up. there. Yeah, and we're working on an act. And we're and then another we we there was another fellow that we met there, and we became a group called the Unholy Three. So there's three of us working together, um, where we're like we would take one magic trick and spread it out between the three of us, and kind of each one we all had our own voices. So excuse me, David was kind of like a scientific phenomenalist. He wore like a lab coat, and I was the weird funeral directory kind of fellow. Right. And then our friend Fitzgerald was more of like a Steve Martin outgoing, bumbling, right. buffoony kind of guy. Zero competition within the three of us. And so you kind of went, oh, I get how these three work together. They're very different. And so we had this act, The Unholy Three, and that really was the beginning of my magic career because we started actually working the Magic Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, and we got recognized. We did some colleges and kind of went around and like we had a little, a little run at it. And then Pixies got back together and David has since gone off and God bless him. He's you know the band's still yeah the band's probably, touring. They play the Hollywood somewhere. Bowl. And yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are so you making money doing this at the time? A little bit. I'm, I, do you I, make money at the castle when you're down in the basement, or is it no, a, okay. no? But when you now I do. And on, a, on it's a weekly contract. When, okay. Now I've been hired there many for for ten years. But back then, no, they, it was all for the love of it. It was yeah. all just like we want to do this. We don't want to be famous necessarily. We just want to do this for whoever comes in. It was like I say, it was this. It was this tight. Little ephemeral thing was very satisfying. How did you live? Uh, well, that's a good question. So when I got out of music, I was fortunate enough to um, buy a house with money that I made through that in Silver Lake early on. Like bought a house there in late '90s, and then um, the first thing I did when I quit music was like, I need to do something with my life. I'm and I fell into the auction business. So I got a job part time at an auction house because weird stuff's coming in all the time, and I became a cataloger. I started cataloging stuff that was coming in for the entertainment memorabilia section so um, interesting TV, film, wow costumes. yeah it was a really i was very fortunate to fall into that world and i became an auctioneer f- through that because i was kind <laughs> of at a would you like the guy hey hey like that yeah. guy you had to learn like how to that? talk like that well that's or they don't you're, I'm just, you're, you're doing, is that a stereotype you're of? doing a cattle auction and ah. what we do a gallery auction so <laughs> silent but 500 550 650 and you had to do some speed back. talking of course yeah, yeah. You do 100 lots an hour like when i did my i i, I do uh shuler used to do shuler's fantasy football and they would all draft and i'd be like all right we got uh you know uh, you know, Tom Brady over here, Tom Brady, we got this guy, Tom Brady, 30. Do I hear 40 for Tom Brady? 50, uh-huh. 50, 50, and 50. Tom Brady goes to the team, whatever. There you, know? you go. Yeah. So you, you learn the increment chart, and you learn some banter. and yeah. It, so over two years, I learned how to do There was a class that I worked at a place called um, Butterfields, which is now Bonham, yeah. Bonhams, which is on Sunset. A big one. And then went on to, from there, um, I became a specialist in that field because I kind of Got really into that world, and it, it you'd not only cataloged it, you'd taken stock of what you were writing yeah, down so, and so the looking thing, yeah, at what you were doing. You, yeah, when you're cataloging memorabilia, the first thing you, you you say is like, okay, we've got a you know we've got a coaster here. It's four inches by four inches. It's cor- cork and astroturf, and the reason that you need this in your house, John, is because two weeks ago. You had Paul Shear on the show, and he sat here and fondled this thing. Right. And we have a picture of Paul holding it. Or right, I don't right. Know that yeah, so yeah, right. that's how you sell memorabilia. Is that you, you First you explain what it is physically, and then you, you, you give a little explanation. Why you should, why you why want you it. Why you need it. Yeah, this. why you need it. Why yeah. you need it. Yeah, yeah. And that goes for, you know, scripts. That goes everything. for costumes. Everything down the road. So I got good at it, and I worked for, you know, 
Christie's, Sotheby's. I kind of bounced around different auction houses. That's this crazy. Is while I, meanwhile, starting to work the Magic Castle at night, so I'm working like two jobs, basically. It was kind of nuts. <coughs> and um, at that point, I started making more money as a magician. I oh, wow. went full-time doing that. This is how many years in from when you decided? Two, 2005 is so about seven years. About seven in. years in. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty good, though. It's pretty good and hard work, you know, and then... And then Right at that point, it got the bug and fell into acting. So that's the last, like, the, the final, you know. When you say you fell into it, how does one fall into it? Well, by performing your weird magic character at the Magic Castle, I, I would find that um, entertainment people would come in and say, you got a very interesting character. Could you do that? Would you be interested in doing that on a TV show uh, okay. or film or yeah. doing a little cameo here and there? And then a good writer, director friend of mine who's also a magician, one day he said, like, why aren't you acting? There's no reason you can. You're doing this character really good now. You got this. You got this thing down. You can handle dialogue. Why? And I went home and, and I was like, I told my wife, I'm like, yeah, Jack said I should maybe think about doing some acting. And my wife is so amazing. She's like, that's a great idea. <laughs> like a woman who married a musician, who right? Who became, became a, a magician. magician. <laughs> that is encouraging to become an actor. That, that gra- woman's I a have, saint. Dude. I have the greatest. I know. I have the greatest wife in the world. That you, that should equal three divorces. <laughs> that that should be like. I was a musician. My wife left me. Well, yeah, she did. You were a musician. Then I became a magician. How'd you even get fucking married after you took that gig? <laughs> then I was then I was an actor. Well, you're useless. So <laughs> that's my stand-up routine right there. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna play this back and transcribe it and read it out. No, that's great. It's I mean, very that's true. It should equal three divorces. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Thank you. I'm gonna. I'm gonna. Please take it. Yeah, all, all I'm going you, on record saying it. So uh, <laughs> I'll credit you in the, as the as the credits roll. But anyhow, I was um, witness. You witness. But anyhow, that that was it. So so I thought, yeah, why not? So I went. To, I I enrolled in Theater West, a local theater company. Scrubbed toilets for two years to learn the fundamentals of writing. You know, get get living on stage. Right. Yeah. And then I wasn't long after that that I met you. With working with Mark and uh, and that's when it was like yeah you were like yeah because I didn't even know you were a musician oh yeah we were like looking for people it was a show called Room Four Hundred One which is uh, the name of the hotel room that Houdini passed away in it was the hospital room hospital room yeah. he passed away in um, but it was it it show it started as one thing it was from the, all the people that did punk so it was like the beginning of like they're kind of doing other hidden camera shows and it was supposed to be a a show about magic, kind of, but it became more of a spook, like spooky, trying to scare people, and really kind of. And yeah, man, we used you on multiple yeah. bits, and yeah. Mark Herwick was like, "Dude, this guy is great," Herwick. and I was like, "Yeah, he's great, man. Like you never, you never disappointed. I mean, sometimes the way we rigged the things or whatever didn't work in your favor, and it was just hard. But like, you know, I, I mean, I, I was impressed right away, and then I got, I've gotten to see you. Um, cause you know, the only way to get into the magic castle is with a pass or, you know, be invited by performers or people who work there or whatever. Yeah. So I asked you for, for passes one, one time and you were, you, you were very nice. You got me passes and we showed up. One of the times was we came to see you and we showed up and the lady was like, oh yeah, Rob has two seats for you right here. And I was like, um, I don't want to sit in the seats that Rob 
Like I, I was convinced that that was something like <laughs> sit here so that I know we can hit you with water balloons or sit yeah. here. So what did you, what did you, did right? you think he was the Gallagher of, I, of, I, of magic? Honestly, where he was gonna, dude, my paranoia. Here's your, here's your plastic shirt. My paranoia from working in hidden camera is, is so peaked sometimes that it's, it's not even funny. So we went yeah. and sat somewhere else. And then I, <laughs> then I said to the, the girl came by again, I go, you know what? I'm sorry. We'll, I'll take those seats. I don't want to be rude. If he got us seats, I, we should sit in those seats, you know? So we went and sat in those seats. And then two uh, women came and sat next to us. And these women, uh, they wouldn't stop talking the whole time. They didn't stop talking the whole time. They were, they were beyond hammered. But oh, I thought you were saying that was part of his No, no, no. But, but the whole thing, like his, his set, like it was like the seance uh, room. Room, right? Yeah, seance room. Yeah, yeah and, and it was, I mean, it combined, you know, just the right elements of, Okay, this is this is this is weird. This is different. A little odd, right? A little little spooky, but at the same time, funny, you know, witty. Like there was, it was a, it was. I would say, not to sound like my mom, super entertaining. You know what I mean? Like Thank we walked know. away, like, man, that was. And I didn't get called out, and I, you know what I mean? <laughs> there was never, you know. So I was like, oh, this this is this was really it was really cool, um, and just the Magic Castle itself. Like I was a guy who. You used to kind of mock the idea of magic, you know what I mean? Um, but when I went to, the, but I also used to mock Universal Studios and theme parks in general. And then I would, I you know, I got dragged to Universal Studios, like, oh shit, this is awesome! I'm having a great time. I got dragged to the Magic Castle with kind of like, okay, is a magic. And the first time I ever went, I was, I was like, oh, this is awesome! And like, would you? You wouldn't say what you do is close-up magic, right? Because that is, you'd have to be sitting next to me or you'd have to be right in front of me or is it also done from a stage? Because you were well, kind both. of a distance so away. I, I, do, I do all types of it's magic. All, okay. So I do close-up magic. I perform close-up magic and I have a close-up set that I do on an as-needed basis. But I also perform parlor magic. Parlor magic, And parlor is more of a stand-up-y kind of thing. Um and then I do stage magic too, which is performed obviously on a on a stage. So when you get into it's like with stand up comedians, you, there's one there's it's one you know it's one microphone and a stool. That's yeah, kind you of could it. be a prop comic, you could be a yeah. physical comic, but but you're gonna be comedy magic club. You're gonna go out there and you're gonna you're gonna face the audience with your, with with this. Yeah, yeah. But in magic, it's different. There's different kinds of it. So there's, again, there's the the more intimate stuff, the close up or the parlor, which is like 50, 60 people. And then the stage stuff. So there's really different. There's different avenues of that. And and, and I do all of it. You know, I got. I just got so into it that I couldn't. You didn't, couldn't stop. Uh. -uh. And then. Uh, yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then. Uh, but but also like. Did your story to you each like whenever I've seen you whenever I've seen any magician there's the the storytelling is a huge part of it like you're telling a story as you're doing things like i mean it's a lot of sleight of hand and like look over here and but like you want to engage people in something you're not just like now i will make this thing disappear now i will do that there's always like some sort of a story did did writing song lyrics did you know did that kind of stuff help with developing that or were you already 100 percent? i mean i think finding the voice for this character has been this journey and certainly a crusade of my wife and me. This has been our thing to find the, the Zabrecki character, which has yeah. um, essentially, he's like Herman Munster where he thinks he's normal and you guys are all batshit crazy. That's the general idea of like, oh, I love you it. guys are like pretty women are like, Oh my God, she's so weird. Yeah. And I'm the kind of the weirdo. Right. So that, 
with that guise, it's easy to write, produce, direct, and act because you're finding material that suits that performer's world. And then you just try to make it you know, as original as possible and, and again, consistent and specific and, and vulnerable. It can't, being weird, I've learned that that doesn't mean it's anything. It's okay, but it doesn't it, sustain. You've got to be vulnerable. People have to go, I also maybe would fuck him. <laughs> yeah, or or I feel for what he's doing, or I I understand what he's doing, or I relate or, to him, or, in, in or a certain, certain le- way. level of empathy, or yeah. Yeah, any of those things. But yeah. there's got to be you've got to hit one of those marks, I think, to yes, to 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 make that to make people want to come back or, yeah. or find and it. connect with them and connect. Yeah. Yes, correct. Yeah. That is all. You don't want to be unforgettable because if you're unforgettable, you can't build. Basically, if they're, if they're indifferent, right? And like any performance, if people are indifferent, yeah. Well, that's like with anything. If they don't like the character. They're not or even like if, what you're or doing. even even if it's not that they don't like it, they just if there's really nothing there for them, they go huh, all right, and yeah. they move on. Like oh, I should just... say, not like or are indifferent to. Yeah, but same with stand. It's no yeah. different than stand-up comedians. Yeah. It's no different than watching a, a a film or going to the art museum. Yeah, all the same. It is the I I I could lecture on magic uh, as I could on any other art form because that's really how I do see it as a neglected art form. But yeah. like. When I talk about the stuff that I, uh, I'll realize, I do often lecture for magicians about presenting magic as theater. And I, when I'm talking about the stuff, I'm realizing like I could be talking about anything because tricks aside, right? Um, your material aside as a stand up comedian, all these things are very important. And if you don't kind of follow those guidelines, people aren't going to, you're not going to find an audience. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to care. If they're they not going care, to care. They don't come. Or they, they might come. care. Not in your favor. <laughs> yeah, they might Fair care. Enough. They care <laughs> to, enough to hate, to hate you. you and write negative reviews about you. Yeah, or yeah. Where? Uh, so going back to we talked about like your music moment, where there was that moment where you're like, "Yep, there it is." What did you have one of those for magic? Like one of those like special nights where you totally dig it. Like, for sure, I mean, firing on all cylinders, and you were like, "Wow, I am so glad I made the choices I made to get me here today." Yeah, for sure. There, there's a big um, magic convention that happens every four years called FISM. It's kind of like the it's the um, Olympics of magic. It's a big deal, and it's all it's it's global. And it's if you're in magic, pe- people go, "Oh, FISM is like the hot thing way, above the Magic Castle." Yeah. In a way. And I got invited to be a special performer at FISM. And I didn't know how I was going to go over because I realized, I know the characters, I, I know it's a niche thing and it's strange and it's weird. And I did a performance there for a thousand magicians. It was a global thing. And I'm in this theater and there's after the show, I got a very nice response. And then about um, um, a year's worth of work uh a couple hours afterwards, people kind of say, hey, would you come to our convention in Japan? Or would you do this magic festival in Switzerland? Or would you come to Australia? And the answer was, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, and yep. I went to all those places. Wow. So wow. it was really, I, I, I literally felt like, well, I'm more famous in magic than I ever wanted to be. Because it was not my goal. You remember? This right, yeah. Not, you were just, you, this you is not, enjoyed it. I fell into this thing, and I thought it'd be a cute, fun thing to you do. You were just into air conditioning. Exactly. Yeah, I was into just being cool. Didn't, you just didn't want to be sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> and wh- when was this, by the way? How long ago was this? This was about seven or eight years ago. Okay. Yeah. And then I started winning awards at the Magic Castle, and I have a bunch of you know nice accolades from that, um, from that um, establishment. And um, done some TV stuff with it, and I'm like, I feel like I've reached a level of you know, my magic character is like the 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 thing for me was 
now what? So then how do we, you know, like how now I know it works on stage. So now my wife and I just recently came up with an idea to put the magic character on on TV. And uh, we came up with our own with a, with a with a program that we just awesome we just put up on YouTube just a few weeks ago. Oh, that's great! Yeah, so it's a one-on-one seance show where the, you come into the world of Zabrecki, and then you get to contact a spirit of your choice, and we do a seance. So that's then I have uh, I have four episodes up on YouTube. It's just a little show, but um, it's called The Other Side with Zabrecki. The Other Side uh, with Zabrecki. Yeah, yeah, and on I've, YouTube, and I have okay. thirteen episodes shot. And um, I we have yeah four up, and then we have nine more to go. That's but great, it's cool because I get to again write, produce, direct, knack with my wife, and yeah. with a producer friend of ours. We've had like a, a nice group of guests come in, people that I respect and admire. Um, Jack Black was the, our last guest, and he contacted Kurt Cobain, so we had a oh seance wow, to con- look at yeah. that, calling it back. This is this has not aired yet, or oh, it's or aired. It's yeah, already so it's, it's just it just came it's out. Jack okay. episode came out a week ago. Okay. Um, uh, Jason Sudeikis contacted um, Pistol Pete Maravich, the basketball player. Yeah. Oh wow! Uh, Will Forte contacted W.C. Fields. So I've got like good oh yeah, you've gotten some. Those are all huge names too. Pretty That's good. Yeah, I've been really fortunate to people. It, that these I've are met. people that you know, yeah, personally all, through your time. They're all people that I've met in show business from doing my ma- basically from doing my magic act or acting jobs and stuff. And who liked my magic character, and I was able to call them up and ask for two hours. It's a very short time commitment. It's a short show. It's only seven minutes long. Yeah, shoot and for two hours. It takes yeah, seven minutes. yeah, exactly. And so, um, got Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo came on. Wow, that must have been fun for you. Um, I won't say it was a huge highlight of my life. Yeah. Uh, Patty Schemmel from Hole, the drummer, for she came on. Um, let's think a lot. I so thirteen guests. So yeah. Paul Shear was one. Um, nice. Um, uh, boy, Neil Hamburger, my friend Greg. Oh Turkington, wow, who I'm yeah. a huge fan of as well. Um, so nice, a nice. Uh, Kate Flannery's is the next week. She, oh great, she she's really great. Yeah. I so like her. so anyway, it's a it's a very it's an impressive list for like your own little YouTube show. Yeah, absolutely. And it was just and it's, and it's shot in black and white, and it's it's the editing is a little unorthodox. And so anyway, it's I've, we found it. Now we have a voice for Zabrecki character on on TV. And it's been major. It's been a major success in my eyes because I don't make any money from it, but it's an artistic success. But so you love it. So when I go on my Dr Pepper commercial tomorrow, my audition. Yeah, your soul isn't completely eaten. Yeah, so I, I'm doing a co-star on CSI New York. I can um, feel good about at least having my my you get little Gary Sinise on the YouTube show. Exactly. If he's still on CSI New yeah. York, I don't know <laughs> if he is or not. Yeah. Do you are there other comedy or, or magic castle types of places uh, yeah, in where the do you world? Go throughout, yeah, throughout the or rest is of the it, country. Is it, so this is the most unique, and this is it. So would is it in in that world? Is it considered the epicenter because of that? Interesting. So nothing else exists. Man, anywhere. I, I've gone to as far. As, I mean, as far as Australia and Japan, where the first question is, tell you know, what is the magic castle like. Walk us through that world. Wow. Because it is it is a very unique club. It's all magic. It's seven nights a week. So imagine a venue for stand-up comedy. Yeah. Or, or I don't even know. It's the, it's the comedy store for magicians. Right. But it's also DIY, one place, one Victorian mansion, one dress code. It's like a million things that it's so specific and strange. And yeah. it comes from a... The story is beautiful, and it's just like the the story of the Magic Castle is so cool. 
that people want to know about it. And they tried, you know, people have tried to make other magic castles. It hasn't worked. Yeah. Okay, so there has they been have attempts. Been attempts. Okay. Oh, yeah. I mean, people have, yeah, it's like like anything you can imagine. But it's it's so unique and special that people just want to know about that place. Wow. And really the best acts have come through and performed there and, you know, um, participate in one, in one level or another, you know. Well, that's awesome, man. So it's, yeah, so it's really interesting and, and I love it and I still love it and, you know, it's it's weird making career choices like, you know, you're a little kid. You think you're going to do one thing and then you fall into something else and then something else. And it's like, I don't who knows? That's that's the key is you don't. And the trick is to kind of. Well, you're, you're doing what you love. And it, flow, it's turning baby. into whatever it turns into as it really boils down to. I just had a curiosity of being here. Um you're talking about these people that you that you meet along the way when you were both a uh, a music performer and now doing magic as an example because of where you do it do you ever have those moments where like you're performing and you look out in the audience and you're like okay i know that person they're extremely famous or whatever and it and how does <laughs> cuz i've never really actually had that experience where i've i've like looked out and be like okay you're here and i'm just curious if you ever had those experience and how you try, how you have to compartmentalize that or work around that you know cuz obviously sometimes also a very well-known person can be a tad bit of a distraction, right, mm -hmm. to a performance as well. Have you had those experiences, especially being in Los in Los Angeles? Yeah, but it's never with it's it's not because um, like Robert De Niro's in the audience or, or I'm performing for Woody Allen. It's not it's not those guys because and these things happen. I'm assuming that's why you're making those references. Yeah, okay. Okay. yeah, that stuff is you know that stuff and yeah, I did a thing for Woody Allen last year and it was like that. That's not so much as Exciting for me is like somebody from an obscure band from LA that I was crazy about. Yeah. And like, oh my God, the you know, the guitar player for the band Monitor is here. Whoa, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm kind of freaking out. And like like I'll trip a little bit and I'll just like I'll and I'll feel like I wanna maybe do my best work because I want him to think that I'm some maybe close to his level of incredibleness okay but that's that's really what it is when i say that's the, the 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 celebrities are mostly distracting because when you perform in a room with someone is with a with a major star everyone else looks at them yeah i did a thing for woody allen at the magic castle a year ago and wait it was for him specifically he was at the magic okay. castle and, and i was asked to do a private show me private show okay. yeah so okay. we went to do a private show and, and 30 people just Happened to follow us into the basement yeah and they're watching him watch you oh yeah. they were not 30 people that knew they were oh. no, they were just lucky. Um, to so it was kind of like, but it, but those situations are always this that th they're similar in that people are kind of watching the perf they're, there's a whole they're other, checked out. Yeah, they're checked out. So you really can't do your best work in those situations. And I kind of just I don't know I don't like it. It's not that so great. I so I don't peek through the curtain before I go out. I usually have to find a couple spectators. I know I'm going to choose for my show, but I try to be very narrow focus. Like I need a woman between 25 and 30 who's going to be able to you know, stand here and look good and probably deliver this type of reaction. Okay. So I get those and then I'm like, that's it. But other than that, I try to just do my best work all the time and, you know, hopefully connect. You ever pick wrong and then as soon as you get someone up on stage, you're immediately like, oh, I've made a huge mistake with this person. All the time. Yeah. All the time. So how does one work around that? <clears throat> I'm well, assuming you have built in. In my character, I say, well, there's the, you know, there's, there's the famous sort of hacky line that I will mumble, it's my fault, I picked her. You know, you can kind of like... Yeah. Because the audience sees if someone's yeah. drunk or they're trying to like over... You know, the, try to be funny. They're try having to be their the, big moment. I'm gonna you're, get. I'm gonna be just on the same level with the entertainer. Yeah. <laughs> you, so you can imagine yeah. the hell of that. 
you just barrel through it. But basically, it's just like, oh, man, this was a bad choice. But usually, like, if I bring up a person and I know they're going to be doing three things with me, if they're a nightmare, I get them back after the first one. Sure. You know, it's just like get them back to their seat as fast as possible. I've been doing, yeah, I'm kind of an expert. You've got a now. system for I it. I got now. a good system now. And I'm very, and I handle hecklers very nice. I don't, like, I, I, very gently just say, come come with me, little baby. Like, I just treat them like little kids, and I push them out the door and close it, <laughs> and that, just treat them like they're like a kid who just needs to go outside and play on their bike. Yeah. <laughs> or be on their phone. Even on the phone, it's because, as you know, it's like, oh you know, you're, you're pouring your heart and your soul out, and there's you see that light, and you're like, oh, my God, all you can... Some fu- asshole is checking his messages. Yeah, and it's just ruining your life, and you're just like, okay, you have to go. You can't can't be a part of this. Yeah. This is ephemeral. And, and even with like pictures and stuff, I feel like it's just... Well, no, you're let this taking happen. other people out of the moment, too. Well, it's, about, it's about being in the moment. Be yeah. in the moment. Just enjoy the moment. Yeah. And your moment that you chose right now was to watch the performer on stage. There is nothing else. There should be nothing else. And it's very hard for some people to just understand that and just, just go, you made a choice. Be in the moment That's of exact- the choice that you've made. That's exactly right. But, you, but by saying that... And impl- or even implying that takes you out of the performance, and suddenly yeah. you are a cop. Yeah. And if you are a weird performer, or you're, you know, yeah. Goosey Goosey John Huck, it's and all then all good. of a sudden you're like, shut up, turn that off. Yeah. What the fuck's the matter with you? Then everyone's like, hey, guy. You're like, oh, you just remind me of my older brother. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think I gotta go. Like, yeah. I I thought he was cool, and now he's. You yeah. Know, it's yeah. a tricky. It's hard thing. to come back yeah. to. Yeah. Yeah, and suck. I see it, and I see it with other performers, and it's it, there's no easy way. No. You know, and but we put ourselves in these situations. So, for me, it's it's the delicate. It's the very much like you're a child. Yeah, and I'm gonna just get you out of here. And then I'm gonna, and people think that's funny because you know you're because you're, you just had to talk to a drunk person like they were a baby. Yeah, and exactly. everyone else gets it. They're like, yeah, that's how you treat drunk people. If you don't want them to physically blow up and get crazy and you know yeah get angry sometimes in very intimate performances like if i'm doing it like if it's a house party or something where i've invited into a, a you know a, a very intimate situation i might say something like you know these people have all spent a lot of time and energy to be here and you're disrupting that so if you can just maybe take it outside and let them focus on those people suddenly feel like oh there's that there's empathy and they're like there is there's a sense of relief but that's so, true, though. Like that's that's like, that's I, that's, a, that's a nice way to. I try to. Uh, I ignore a heckler if somebody's and it's not heckling. It's just someone talking or being on a phone or being loud or whatever. But they don't realize they're doing it. I will ignore them until other people in the room start looking over at them, and then you can see that it's physically upsetting other people in the room. Yeah. Then you. Then I'm like, hey, please. There's other people here that paid money to get in, and no one wants to watch us go back and forth. That's not what they paid for. They paid yeah. to be entertained, and that's not entertaining. And and a lot of times, it's like they're always with somebody who's horribly embarrassed, and they'll yeah. either shut up or they'll be asked to leave. And right, but there's that famous in the back of my mind. There's there's that great famous comeback. Uh, you know, I don't come down to the bus station at three in the morning and knock the dick out of your mouth yeah. when you're working. Would you please just let me finish? <clears throat> that's always that's sitting al- right. It's just always. Right. I don't come down to where you work and knock the dicks out of your mouth. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, let you me know? finish. Just yeah. let me let me get through this. I don't say I've. I think I've said that once, uh, maybe uh, a long time ago. But like that's it, and I try to, you know, really kind of re rewired. Yeah. So. Oh, I yeah. Had a, I, I, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say I've I've exploded on people, and then afterwards they try to talk to me. I'm like, don't go, come near me. <laughs> this one woman was like, oh my god, that's so great. I go, you ruined the show. <laughs> and her boyfriend halfway through, and I was like, yeah, I was yelling at her. Mm-hmm. And finally, this guy goes, finally. I go, finally, what, dude? 
And he goes, <laughs> finally, somebody's telling her to be quiet. I go, you're with her. Why aren't you telling her? Why is that my job now? Dude, like, I got so oh mad. Gosh. And on my way out, she tried to high-five me, and I looked at her like, woman, I will knock you down the stairs if you come near me. Yeah. Like, I was so enraged. Yeah, that was not us up there. Yeah. I, I am, that is me. That was my, yeah. I am hired to be here. You oh. bought a ticket. Yeah, yeah, it's they just, don't, it's just yeah. really frustrating. Yeah. But you know, when you know, yeah. with some of those people, though, it's you just, and when and when someone's drunk, there's literally I've been on the other side of that too, where there's no talking to people. You're just like everything you say is going to either make them very, very angry or make them cry. Yeah, and then you're just like, oh, great, now <laughs> we've got this no mess. Yeah. I remember the best thing I, I ever, uh, I before I ever got into stand up, I was fortunate enough to uh, interview Nipsey Russell. Oh wow, Nipsey Russell. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, he uh, he was a performer that he used to work with, uh, you know, Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. So oh, he wow. opened up for him and stuff like that. And what he said, uh, the best advice he ever gave me, because he was such a happy-go-lucky guy. And he, his thing was, you know, when people are disruptive or they're heckling, he goes, what I do is I split the room in half. And he goes, I find the people that really want the show first. And I try to get them to overwhelm the hard part. And he goes, mm-hmm. that usually works. I try to stay in that positive lane. Yeah. And he goes, if I have to ultimately go back, then I, you know, I kind of politely try to deal with it. But I never forgot that first part of it. It was like, fine. Find the people first, that are paying attention. Your first focus should not be immediately to knee-jerk react to the negative. Remember that the majority is not. And stay on them. Stay on them as long as you can. And if it just yeah. doesn't stop, then swing back. I know I got to get you out of here. So yeah. I have a couple questions for you. Uh, one, what uh, for you, having grown up here and t- telling such an amazing story? One, what would be your um, your favorite childhood memory? If, if you, when you oh, look man. back, on your life. I, I'm so terrible at favorites. There's, there's all the days you did a good get shot. Yeah, yeah. I, I okay, say, great job. Thank you. Know, you. I would say just running, getting home from school, and just staring at the clouds, you know, and watching them change from one shape to another. Just being a kid. Yeah, just sitting in my backyard in Burbank and just coming from school where things. I wasn't fitting in, you know, as a as a little kid, but like having that freedom of just going, oh, just like that ultimate let go of just letting the world being a part of, you know, what felt like a good time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. So that's pretty good. I would say that when was you ran uh, the the coffee shop, uh, a, a, a band that you saw the first time, and you were like, oh, like you had never heard of them. They came in, they played, and you were like, holy shit, I'm totally digging this. This is amazing. It kind of just burned in right away. And somebody that you that you. Mm. Man, that hopefully went, you know, that obviously yeah. didn't come and go and disappear. But were there was there was there a band that you were like, yes, and you were so glad that you got to see them? Yeah, they were called the Imperial Butt Wizards. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> what a great name! And I gotta say, like, <clears throat> they didn't go on to do great things or anything. They kind of exploded, but they they were an incredible, amazing, amazing band. And I'm so glad I got to witness that because they had they had tied together so many things that I was into and it was, they were so bizarre and kind of avant-garde and strange that I was like I'm so happy to be here that's so awesome did they ever record anything like no I, no, no they were very any imperial they, butt wizards no online? you'll see their names like when I, we played with Hole it was imperial butt wizards and Hole and Possum Dixon at, at Al's Bar but like I was kind of a roadie for them and, and a couple times I wore military gear and just stood on stage while the <laughs> singer would light um, stuffed animals on fire and they got Band from every club, and they were very disruptive. And like, 
They were just a nightmare. Yeah. Dude. They were the they were crazy good. By the way, one small thing that we glossed over that when you talk about the early days of live performance, you basically listed a series of things that are now illegal that no one can do anymore. Yeah. You know, everything oh, yeah. from like blowing oh. up but I mean like yeah, right. we live in this world now Chain with like no one's no one's insuring you. We're not bonding this. This oh, is yeah. not happening. You're never getting booked. It's just yeah, not you can set stuffed animals how did, on fire. How did the plasmatics blow up a school bus on stage <laughs> in Pasadena in an old rickety theater? And I'm 10 feet away. While she's woman has a live chainsaw sawing guitars and where people are slam dancing and climbing on the stage. How? I got to think the guy who owned the place or the manager was in the back going, Wait, what? Wait, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. No, 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 no. What? Uh, yeah, like, I got to be honest with you. freaking out. No, I I think it had to be a lot earlier than that. I'm like, why are we backing a dead bus onto yeah, the stage yeah, hey, right what's now? Uh, <laughs> what's up there? I didn't know we had a bus coming in. Is that? Oh, yeah. this is part of the show. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's part of the back line. The uh, um, favorite place uh, when you were in the band that you got uh, in the world uh-huh. that you were so glad that uh, that, that had got your, your ability to be in a band and perform, it took you there. That maybe you didn't you never thought about, and you were like, interesting, this is cool. I mean, playing at Al's Bar on a Friday night was always, we told ourselves, if we got to perform at this venue on a Friday night, which was downtown L.A., we had made it. So, because we'd seen a lot of shows there, and we were very into this kind of, that underground, late 80s world. So, the first time walking on stage at Al's Bar was like, we made it. This is the moment this that I it. wanted. So, that was a big check for me. That was a big gain, a big win yeah. yeah, check it off the vision board, right? Put it yeah. in the thing that's on the vision board. Because like I also keep my expectations very low, and if I can do anything beyond what, if I think I if I can do this, I'm good. And that's kind of and really, it's like maybe I'm dumb, but I just set my I set my you know, no, expectations I pretty low. You set your sights for things that you like that, and you are the type of person that likes what you like, and you go full on and into what you like. You know, I yeah. mean, yeah. the good and the bad. Yes, you know what I mean. Yes, this is a very yeah. you know. Yeah, it's not necessarily an addictive personality. It's it's a it's a determined personality. You know. Yeah, <clears throat> right. And 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 last one in respects to uh, the stuff that you've done. And, and you said that you we didn't really cover the acting stuff, but was there you know you said okay I'll do the acting thing, but were there some was there a gig that you got or something that you did? You were like okay this is cool I like this I'm glad I made the choice to do that. Um. Yeah. I I think all my acting jobs have been like. A, great and they give me health insurance and it's been a, a incredible like journey from one thing to the other and for me I think like um, I did this movie called A Ghost Story a few years ago and I was on a plane coming from coming back from Europe or something and it was on the plane oh wow and to see you know like you come back from the bathroom and like I and I, I didn't even know I was on the plane but then I saw this scene and I see somebody was, was watching it like oh that's my they're watching the, I wasn't like hey by the way no right 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 <laughs> you're like oh man like you didn't pop up from the seat behind him <laughs> your... hey what you watching what if you want I'll sign something <laughs> you I just could... start signing napkins yeah. for him they're like who are you again <laughs> nothing like that but, but yeah but, but, but the point was is like I went oh man like I guess like I've in my own small way I have found my way into this culture of like. Entertainment, and, yeah, you know, and it's pretty exciting, and, and it's a thrill. Well, I, I I like the fact that you've you've touched so many different genres. I know you kind of joked about you know kind of all over the place kind of thing before you got here, but I think that um, what I liked about your story is the fact that you have experienced a lot and you weren't afraid to try new things, which I think is you know for many of us 
that leave the cities, the small towns, wherever we come from to pursue dreams. You know, it's usually just just pursuing a dream, one thing. They just think they're one thing. They just it's try to they thing, box themselves you know, into one. I'm a writer. But I'm that's okay. I mean, it is. My point is, even just to make that leap, the fact that you made several leaps over and over and over again, I find um, is pretty cool. I will, I will bring up one thing, and I don't necessarily know if you've, if you've also collectively tied this in, but I, I found it very interesting that you talked about that when you were young, you had problems with your hands. And, it, and everything from the moment you stuck your hand in cow shit, from learning how to play guitar with your hands and you had success there to basically becoming a magician with your hands. I, I find that that an interesting thing that you that you, yeah. you had not moved saved your life. That you had not moved forward, you know, in, yeah. until you were able to like a lot of what has happened to you has been through your hands and I find yeah. that amazing. Well thank you. Yeah. yeah, I, mean, yeah. I find that amazing t- I'm amazed by it too and I, I still can't it's still just as strange to me now as it was then. Like there's not there's never a day where I when I do think about that, I go, yeah, that's really, that doesn't happen. Other kids don't have those kind. They have other interesting stories, but not like but that. But not that. Yeah, it's not I've that. I've never heard that before yeah. from anyone yeah. else. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a major gratitude thing because it could have gone another direction. And last, yeah. so so now it's time that you are going to have to shamelessly, we're going to force you to promote your stuff. So we know you got the YouTube page. Is there a specific name to the YouTube page? Yeah, right. sure. No, I'm ha- this isn't the new me. He's talking about the All future. right, good. Uh, the other side with Z- the other side with Zabrecki is okay. the name of the show. It's a YouTube channel. There's yeah, three, four episodes up and a couple commercials, and uh, getting ready to put up Kate Flannery's episode next. I won't tell you who she contacted, but a very interesting spirit from we'll have beyond. To tune in. Uh, that'll be good. And then Twitter, um, Facebook. Are you uh, uh are, are you that Instagram, guy? Instagram. Okay. Yeah, Rob Zabrecki. That's my the handle there. And then uh, and then yeah, my memoir is going to come out. Um. On Rothko Press in um, late May, and then the the LA Weekly is going to run a story. The first chapter called "Bullet for the Boy," which I didn't. I told you I got shot by my crazy. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Th- I that's a longer, very long. Oh, so wow. the full story it's is the there. Full story. It's a six thousand word story. Oh wow. That's articulated from the perspective of a eleven year old kid. Who's so we did the tease for you. So you did the tease. So, yeah. So wow. So anyway, so that's and that's a, when that that's will kind of come out in the LA Weekly in a couple weeks, and then the book comes out in late May. So. In late May, and mm-hmm. are you planning on doing any type of everything? Yeah. You are. Yeah. I'm gonna do it all. I'm gonna yeah. do reading, and then I'll do a magic trick and perform a m- song. Are you doing something Dude, here in town? Yeah, yeah. As much do as a reading, do a magic yeah. trick, and then perform a song. Right? Yeah. Man. Does that you just decide that now? No. Oh, okay. No, I've been thinking that 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 seems like because it seems easy to do, and uh, yeah, I'm gonna do as much promotion as I can. I wanna I wanna sell. I wanna you know I'm I'm proud of this the book because it's the longest. Again, it's a 12 year project. This mm-hmm. is not some short little. Yeah, it's not a pamphlet thing. you wrote over the weekend. Nope. It is my heart. It is, and it's it's very detailed. And it's very there's you know there's a lot of stuff. Of course, we didn't talk about, but that's all in there too. And it's uh, it was really hard to do, and I'm glad to just get out in the world so I can get on. You know, it's like it's, I just want to move on. Yeah. And, and and name of the book again: Strange Cures. Strange, Strange Cures. Cures. And and, uh, and I, it'll be in hard hard, for hard copies in the bookstores around here, around Correct. town, wherever. Yeah, for there. sure. Okay. Mm-hmm. Amazon, yep. baby. And, yeah, and, and then and the now. final question is: Do we get to go to the comedy? Ma- or the comedy why do I keep saying that? The Magic Castle? Will you? Do, of course. Will we get to be your guest? And see, I want to see. Yeah. I haven't seen. I don't believe I have seen Man. your. Well, we'll change that. I'm well, stoked, dude. It's, and it's how, good stuff. And how often are you there? Like when if people want to, if people well, are in town and want to see people, performance. Well, that's the thing is they can't. The Magic Castle is a private club for magicians they and their guests. So they have to get. But invited. if they get invited, so, so how often are you there? It's when not. I'm not a regular schedule, so I work. You know, six to ten weeks out of the year. Okay. 
and I don't have anything booked, but probably in a few months I'll I'll do something. I'm working on a little show called Total Zabrecki, and I'll do that for 40 minutes up there. In okay. The showrooms. Love and it. And I will invite you to. So I'll, 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 I'll st- I've been in touch with John for 10 years. And, yeah, man. Yeah. And, you know, been Which watching. I appreciate. He, I've been watching John's. Got to see him, you know, make a nice jump. In My his burgeoning um, career. I just made air quotes. Uh, but there is a there is a calendar for the uh, if you were to get booked. Is there a calendar that people see online that if they so when no. they get booked, oh, there's nothing. Yeah, they can oh, see it, there? but you, you can you can look at the calendar. But they but and then they could find somebody to ask them to invite them if they, they see to, that you're on the calendar. Invite, and so. other than that, do you promote all your stuff where you're going to be on Instagram? I try. Okay. I, no, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. That's a lie. Yeah, I. Uh, no, I'm not. I'm not a good. That's we'll, not my we'll strength. Throw it up there, and we'll help you promote it. Yeah. Okay. I mean, look, I I love I I want to tell people about this podcast. It's that'll be fun. Yeah, you know, but I don't. I'm not a good like. Hey, come see me at the. You know, it's yeah. just not. It's just I wish I was better at that, but it it takes part of my soul and the art out of it for yeah. me personally, not yeah, for no, everybody. No. I know some people are really good at it. It's not. I'm trying to change. I probably won't. Yeah, that's fair. Okay. That's fair, man. I think Good. you're doing okay, so oh, I wouldn't thanks. worry too much about changing. Thank you. Well, well thank I you for one, I'm glad that you, that you you came out of the promotion shell to promote yourself and talk about your life today. Because I'm I was. Well, thanks, Brian. Was I cool. enjoyed it. Yeah, man. Cool yeah, chat with you. Very John. cool. I really appreciate you coming by. Thank you so man, much. I'm sure it's amazing. Our are pumped. Yeah. And uh, you know, you guys, you guys heard it. You can check out uh, the other side with Zabrecki on YouTube, and his book Strange Cures will be out in May. And you'll probably be seeing popping up all over the old uh, internet and TVs as he promotes it all. So uh, thank you so much, man. Really appreciate you coming by. Thanks a lot, John. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. <laughs>